This week on Geek Explained, special guest Owen of the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel returns to the podcast to break down the history behind Reed Richards of Earth 1610. With him being the catalyst to the possible return of the Ultimate Universe, it's finally time to Geek Explain the Maker. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is part two of Ultimate June Vasion, where we are dedicating the entire month of June to the Ultimate Universe. This week, I'm going to be joined by Owen of the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel to break down the entire history of Reed Richards. Not the Reed Richards that you know. This is the Reed Richards of the Ultimate Universe, a.k.a the maker he's going to be taking center stage as one of the two co-leads alongside miles morales in uh, jonathan hickman and brian hitch's ultimate invasion and as we found out this past week the ultimate universe might just be coming back too we got the news that alongside the four issue ultimate invasion miniseries our boy Johnny Hicks is coming in hot with a big old one-shot alongside, I believe, Stefano Caselli to do Ultimate Universe number one, with possible teases that we might be seeing more Ultimate books on the way. I know there's some trepidation with the Ultimate Universe, but I am really excited about the prospect of this, and I think we break it down in this episode during our conversation about the Maker, how much the Ultimate Universe could benefit from a modern-day twist. There's a lot going on and there's a lot of gears spinning and you know if reed richards of earth 1610 is involved there's going to be some uh, some big changes being made. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. So make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that. But for now, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I and Owen Geeksplain, The Maker. We've come a long way since the garage. Gotta say, it's fantastic. Say that again. Me? I'm Reed Richards. The ultimate Reed Richards. The one who's finally going to solve everything. Here we are, part two of Ultimate June Vasion. The entire month of June is dedicated to Earth 1610, and this week we are going to be putting a spotlight on one of the main players in Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch's Ultimate Invasion, 
Reed Richards himself, the maker, the Mr. Fantastic, uh, or the former Mr. Fantastic of the Ultimate Universe, who will be taking center stage alongside Miles Morales as they dive back and figure out if you truly can go home again. We're going to be breaking down the entire character as part of our Geek Explain series, where I take a character, a team, and break down everything you need to know about them. And I am joined by quite possibly the biggest Maker fan in the world. The only choice for Ooh. an episode like this. It's got to be Owen from Owen Likes Comics. Owen, welcome back! Back once again with the Renegade Master. Thank you for having me on this wonderful podcast to discuss a wonderfully awful um, person in the Marvel Universe. I do want to just leave a little disclaimer because I know uh, we talked about it on Twitter the other day. I want to apologize to Evan for you calling me the world's biggest uh, Ultimate Reed <laughs> Richards fan. I think we probably share that title. Um, maybe he's bigger than me because he likes reading Venom comics. Um, ah. So if you're willing to put yourself through that, um, for the stretchy boy, Ben, maybe that makes you the biggest fan, but I'm the one who's got the microphone right now. So what does that tell you? See, and, and, and that's, that's a very diplomatic way to settle that. And I respect that about you, but yeah, we're, we're talking ultimate Reed Richards. We are going to go be going through his entire history, uh, not beat by me. Cause that could take almost 20 years as I mean, it took recording. him 20 years. Sure did. Sure did. But we're going to be breaking everything down. So let's do the cliff notes here. Let's give you the beat by beat, the breakdown for this character. He is called the maker, uh, also known as Reed Richards, formerly known as Mr. Fantastic. His first appearance was in ultimate fantastic Four number one in January of 2004, almost 20 years ago. But his first appearance as the Maker was in the Ultimates Volume 2, number one, way back in the far flung past of August 2011. Which also feels like 20, 30 years ago. Uh, he was created by Mark Millar, Brian Michael Bendis, and Adam Kubert, and his team affiliations include Project Oversight, Whisper, The Fantastic Four, The Dark Ultimates, The Children of Tomorrow, The Cabal, Shield, The New Revengers, The Cult of Null. His powers and abilities include elasticity and malleability, some kind of unrecorded in some kind of immortality, uh, multiversal omnipresence, post-secret wars, and also everybody's favorite super genius intellect. His equipment include the impact suit that is able to move around and stretch and be malleable alongside his genetics, his gravity belt, his vault helmet, and as of, uh, say, circa 2018-2019, an artificially enhanced symbiote. Now, Owen, you have been beating the drum for Ultimate Reed Richards for a very long time now. If you haven't, go onto Owen's channel, Owen Likes Comics, check out his full breakdown of the maker. Uh, that was really the video that kind of got me on board with the character way back when. And so it's, it's serendipitous that I now have you on here to discuss the, uh, the stretchy boy. But how were you introduced to this character and what, what, was your, uh, what was your first impression when he came out as the maker? Yeah, so so the maker's always been a character that I've had a, a really deep fascination with and is probably my favorite character 
um, to come out of the Ultimate Universe. It's wild that you've somehow fate has had it, so I'm here complimenting a character created by Mark Millar. Um, <laughs> here we are. Uh, yeah, so I remember reading uh, my first introduction with Ultimate Reed Richards was in the first issue of Ultimate Fantastic Four. Um, that was a book that I was reading quite religiously at the time it came out. That kind of coincided with like my period of really getting into Marvel Comics, the early to mid 2000s. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men were two of my favorite books when I was when I was young. And so when they brought out an Ultimate Fantastic Four and it was written by the people that had wrote Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men, right. I quite quickly jumped on um, on that series. So in a way, Ultimate Fantastic Four was like the first real Fantastic Four comic series that I'd read. My only, I can think of the only other introduction I would have had to the characters would have been the um, the 90s cartoon show with yeah. the, the greatest theme song ever written. Absolutely. Um, which I'm going to sing for you now. Please do. And we'll just cut there to when. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just put the actual song in and just pretend that I did it. Okay, so I'll... I'll Leave all this in. This three, is all good stuff. Two, one. Great. I had no idea you had that kind of range in your in your singing voice. That's fantastic. A, tr- a true renaissance man. Um, so yeah, so Ultimate Fantastic Four was really like my first exposure to these characters. And so it feels like I very much like followed the story of Ultimate Reed from these humble beginnings in the first issue of that series all the way up to Secret Wars and um, everything that's been going on with him currently. So it's been quite a wild ride to see his evolution and see his diversions from like the classic Reed Richards character, a character who in the years since I've really come to love and has become one of my favorite Marvel superheroes anyway. So to see like this dark version of himself go down such a different but yet equally fascinating path, yeah. it's been such a joy to read. Uh, and he's been written by so many great writers like Bendis, um, Mark Millar was there as well. Jonathan Hickman, Johnny Cates has written him. Like so many of like the top talents of the industry have like had a hand in crafting the maker. And I think he is one of the most unique and interesting Marvel villains, at least of this century, if not longer. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, because you you look at something like the Ultimate Universe and, and really just kind of the multiverse in general. And even though there's all kinds of different varieties of characters, variations, variants, um, doppelgangers of the heroes and villains that we know in like the main 616 or, you know, Earth Zero, Earth Prime, whatever over at DC, the maker kind of stands alone in that he is obviously a parallel version of reed from the 616 but he's so i he's so different at this point that they feel like two different characters which is really cool and a testament to how much that character stands out yeah and it's funny because like i i think i say this in the video that i did the two biggest success stories of the ultimate universe are the maker and miles morales yeah Interestingly, two characters that would never have existed if it wasn't for Ultimatum, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about a little bit um, shortly, which is seen as like, but Ultimatum seen as like the moment that kills the Ultimate Universe, where all of like the major players are taken off the board and the universe as a kind of publishing brand pretty much dies. They never regain the level of sales and popularity and hype that it had before Jeff Loeb drowned everyone. Right. Um, And yet, in my opinion, the two most interesting characters and the two characters from that universe that have had the most legs and have kind of continued on and been brought over into 616 Marvel are characters that could only have been created after that story. So I think it's a, it, it makes the Ultimate Universe and Ultimatum's place in it have a very strange legacy with me. 
um, which is something when we get to that in the chronology, I do want to talk about a little bit more. Well, hey, and don't forget everyone's favorite hidden survivor of the Ultimate Universe, Jimmy Hudson. Everyone's favorite. uh, Shout out to him from Ultimate X, a book I read and remember nothing about. And also X-Men Blue, a book that many people read and also know nothing about. It's strange how that happens, isn't it? Really weird. Really weird. I don't one, day Jim, fault, one day Jimmy will get his due. He'll, he'll get there. He'll get there one day. One day he'll get a good book. But let's go ahead and dig into the history of this character because it is bonkers, to say the least. I mean, we look at 616 Reed and obviously he's got a lot going on in his life. But Ultimate Reed is fascinating too in that they decided, just like with every other Ultimate character, we're going to take their origins and modernize them. We're going to make them for the 21st century. But they also decided, hey, let's make everyone slightly worse. And in no person is that more true than Reed Richards. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Getting into this first stage of his life, this is the Fantastic Four era of Reed Richards. Uh, Reed was born to Gary and Mary Richards, which is hilarious to me and will never stop being hilarious. Uh, He was born a smart kid, just like our 616 Reed. Uh, Born a genius, was bullied and harassed daily because of it. However, it was during this time in his young boyhood that he met one Benjamin Grimm, a character who would be his best friend forever. No matter what. Uh, But their lives were changed at the Midtown Middle School Science Fair, where after building a prototype for a transmatter teleportation machine, he and Ben were noticed by one Agent Willie Lumpkin, who was in this reality uh, part of a think tank sequestered in the heart of the Baxter building where all the brightest young minds in the ultimate Marvel universe were brought to make uh, advancements that would bring the ultimate universe to a new stage of industrial revolution. Uh, This is where he meets the storms, Franklin, obviously the father and the kind of the, the patriarch of the whole thing and siblings, Susan and Johnny, which are, I think, it's hard to say, but might be the best out of the four when it comes to the ultimate incarnations. Might be, might be, might be controversial, but there it is. Uh, this is also where Reed meets Victor Van Dam, not to be confused with professional wrestler Rob Van Dam, or actor. Um, why did I just Jean- 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 Claude Van Dam? I was like, the, the his name is Van Dam. Van Dam. I was about to say Rob Van Dam again, no doubt. Like he, it's interesting that they decided to go this route with with Victor Von Doom in turning him into a Van Dam. And you know, this this is also the character who I I kind of wish that they had really just leaned into for the 2014 Fantastic Four movie, just lean into the Van Damisms. It's it's him. a real shame just listening to you kind of give off the synopsis of the like the first volume of Fantastic Four, and I really like the initial 
um, couple of volumes of Ultimate Fantastic Four. I think it's a, a really interesting like remix of the classic status quo, kind yeah. of taking away some of the like more Cold War inspired elements, right, and replacing it with a lot of more current stuff. I actually think it works quite well. I'm a fan of at least like the initial setup of Ultimate Fantastic Four. Same. Um, but it's such a shame that as you're explaining it beat by beat, I'm just getting like flashes of the 2015 movie, yeah! <laughs> which is god awful. And it's like I I didn't know I remembered that much of the movie. But as you're like being like, and then at the science fair they build it, and I'm like, it's a rocket car, isn't it? And then you're like, no, it's a teleporter. And then they go to. Um, and they get listed to the Baxter building and they meet. And I'm like, oh, this is everything that happened in that god awful movie, which yep. means Marvel will never touch Ultimate Fantastic Four again. Which, I mean, depending on because, what because you're of this awful from, movie, because of this awful movie, we're going to have to hear Adam Driver say, we've got to get to space to beat the commies. <laughs> you know what? If he says that exact line, I will give you $5. I, I, I will give I will even go through the the full uh, transference and I'll give you five pound Hell for that. Yeah. But it's during this where, as as Owen mentioned, they're not technically going to space because they have discovered something that they call the end zone. And short for negative zone. And so they are working on using the schematics and the prototype of Reed's transmatter teleportation machine to open a portal to take them to the end zone. And on the day of them unveiling their experiment, they're going to try and open up the portal, go to the end zone. Who might show up but one Benjamin J. Grimm, who's there, who has gone on, I believe, to join the military, become a pilot. Well, I, I thought I thought he shows up because he thought they were going to the end zone and they were playing like American football. He is he is a sports guy, as we know. There you go. I, that's probably the reason. He was like, Reed won't be able to carry the ball that far. He won't be able to hit a touchdown. I'll have to uh, step in. And Victor Van Damme's a terrible quarterback. I assume all of these sports analogies are for the same sport. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Just just Hell focus yeah. on not getting into the penalty box and shooting three-pointers, and you should be fine. Yeah, Ben can do that. Yeah, he can do all that. However, it's during this experiment that it's revealed that Victor Van Damme did some tinkering to their machine. And unfortunately, uh, Mr. Monday Night caused them to uh, overshoot the parameters, the safety parameters of their technology, trapping all four of our young heroes, as well as Victor, into the negative zone for a brief moment. And in this, the Fantastic Four are born. That really tickled me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Always losing his mind. It's so... <laughs> I, I realized we need to get the Doctor Doom stuff out of the way because we are just going to make references to early 2000s wrestling. Yes. Um, you could say he Van Terminated the uh, the teleporter. <laughs> I, w- I would say that he was really hoping that his experiment would be five-star frog splash, but in fact, he just missed the mark. And yeah, it, it was more, more of a rolling, a rolling thunder. thunder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, it's been too long. Um, But yeah, in this, the Fantastic Four are born. Everybody gets their powers and we get little hoof feet, Victor Von Doom, my favorite version of the character. Perhaps the most forgettable version of Doctor Doom, I'd say. It's unfortunate because I love little hooved Doctor Doom. I mean, it's it's interesting in hindsight because I think Reed does become the Ultimate Universe's version of Doctor Doom. 
Yes. Um, but but going back and thinking about the entire like Ultimate Fantastic Four run and and all the other kind of Ultimate Marvel stuff that the Fantastic Four are involved in. Yeah. Doctor Doom isn't really a massive like overarching villain. No. Like he he has a role in Ultimates three, um, and he pops back up at the end of Ultimatum yep. if I've got the timeline right. Yeah. But he doesn't really do a whole lot if memory serves me right. Like yeah. there's no like amazing ultimate Doctor Doom stories that are like immediately popping out. And I've read the, all of Ultimate Fantastic Four. So it's interesting how like, and I, I think they're set up for the characters more interesting. Obviously they tried to like tie Doom to the Fantastic Four's origin. Right. Um, interesting that the Tim Story movie that came out like the following year did the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, albeit with like very different portrayals of Doom, but still tried to link their origins together. Um. But yeah, are you a fan of, of Ultimate Doom? Are you a fan of Goat Leg Doom? Well, I love I love the design. I love Goat Leg Zo- Doom. I think it's it's just silly enough to be like, oh yeah, that person could run a country. Like, I get it. And it's you you make a great point because there's no real like Doctor Doom stories in the Fantastic Four series that i immediately think of all of the stories that i think of with him are in other books like him popping up and being basically the main villain of the final miles morales ultimate comics volume yeah uh with hydra and kate bishop like that's the one that i always think of maybe it's just because you're comparing it to like the first hundred issues of lee and kirby's fantastic four right and like how much doom is in those comics all over the place but like We'll, we'll get into it as we go through, but like there are some really interesting characters that pop up in Ultimate Fantastic Four. Yeah. Like, there's an entire three issue arc here dedicated to Thanos, who just yeah. never shows up again in the entire Ultimate Universe. And it, w- it was so funny when they were releasing all of the, uh, you know, the first looks at the variant covers for Ultimate Invasion. One of them mm. had Ultimate Thanos, and I was like, oh yeah, he was in the Ultimate Universe. I forgot what about to that guy. guy? It was just like, we've got dark side at home. But they, they took that guy. concept of like, just make a worse dark side, which is obviously how Jim Starling created Thanos. Yep. And like, they just took that literally and just said, <laughs> let's just make him like, literally his entire motivation, his entire characterization is just dark side. Just worse. But, yeah. And he just pops up for three issues. And then I don't, is he ever seen again in the ultimate universe? I don't. There is no way for me to there. look that up. There's no way for me to ever find that out, which is a shame. But we're just gonna have to, you know, live with not knowing. And I'm I remember he really likes he really likes the cosmic cube. I I do remember him being a fan of cube shaped things. Yes, which is interesting because I always think of that as more of like a red skull, totally thing, um, which is hilarious and when yeah. you think about how much the ultimate universe influenced the mcu i, and... I thought you were going to start talking about ultimate red skull and i really don't want to get into that stuff <laughs> let, i think uh, the less said about ultimate red skull the better let's keep it to the fantastic four for now thank you and speaking of which we get to see across this story how much them getting their powers at a young age really i think sets them at least a couple of them on the wrong path and you find out over a long period of time that this is really just the origin story for Reed's villainous persona later on. Uh, yeah. His, his romance like reading, with... 
like reading the ultimate, the early issues of Ultimate Fantastic for knowing where that character ends up. Like it it's puts such a different speed. It's like puts such a different spin on Reed's character. Yeah, it, it's like watching Chronicle, and which yeah. is a wonderful movie by a director. And again, who... a, a weird tangent to the 2015 Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, it's 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 gonna happen. It's gonna happen. That's a, that's a real shame. Sure is. But we do see that the relationship between Reed and Sue is a little bit more fraught because they don't have the quote-unquote emotional maturity of a nuclear family in the 1960s. Uh, there's also, you know, little little tidbits here and there of a love triangle, perhaps, with Ben, which does become a greater thing later on. But also, during this period, our little Reed boy gets a whiff of the multiverse during a multiversal yeah. encounter the first of its kind in the ultimate universe where it was marketed as ultimate universe meets the 616 reads talking to a read and it's going to be incredible except it was a catfishing situation where the read that ultimate read was speaking to was not in fact 616 okay. read i'm going to stop you right there i'm going to defend this twist because <laughs> i think this is great it's a great twist there's nothing wrong I... with it unashamedly like the ultimate uh marvel zombies arc from ultimate fantastic four yeah i think is awesome it's fantastic and I, I think the fake out works so well where you think that he's um because reed builds this device where he can like speak to parallel realities yeah. and there's this big end page reveal in issue um i can't remember the number and i was that one really yeah smart i know i know which one you're talking about that one um, where he sees what looks like 616 read. And yeah. obviously, like, there was the whole thing that Ben, I think it was Bendis that said it at the beginning of the Ultimate Universe, where he said, if we ever cross them over with 616, it's a sign that we've run out of ideas. Yeah. We'll, we'll circle back to that later. Um, <laughs> but so that was like a big thing in the Ultimate Universe that, like, we're not even going to acknowledge like a multiverse. We're never going to do it. So yeah. only like a couple of years in to get this like big end reveal that like 616 read and 1610 read might cross paths was really cool. And then it turns into like this horrible, horrific story of like this dystopian world, which then span off into its own series and has had a legacy in and of itself. Um, which I really also the, we did. I really like the on. ultimate Marvel. Yeah, you did. And it was great. Um, but I really like the ultimate Marvel zombies arc here. I do just want to point out, um, so obviously Bendis and Miller co-write the first six issues of Ultimate Fantastic Four. Yep. Uh, Warren Ellis jumps on after issue six and he does a short run. But I think one of the big issues with this series is the lack of really consistent voices on the title. Yeah. Um, like you compare it to Ultimate Spider-Man, which Bendis wrote like in its entirety. It's a, a monolithic run. Even Ultimate X-Men had like fairly consistent, like Miller wrote it for a good while. Yeah. Uh, and it had writers come on and do like lengthy runs. Whereas, so you have Bendis and Miller co-write the first six issues and that's not a harmonious collaboration because they're living halfway across the world. Of course. Bendis is living in America. Miller's writing it from Scotland. And as well, they both have very different writing styles from, from what I've researched. They had quite different ideas on what the book was going to be. And the first six issues is kind of like a, a mashup of the two uh, ideas of what they were going to do. Yeah. And then, well, then Ellis takes over. Ellis writes it from issue six to issue 18. And then you have like Mike Carey runs it, uh, writes it for a bit. Joe Pekaski writes it for a bit. Mark Miller comes back. Um, and I think that's an issue 
with this entire Ultimate Fantastic Four run all the way up to issue 60, yeah. where it's, it just feels like writers filling in stories. And like some interesting stuff happens, but I think it's why you get things like Ultimate Thanos shows up and just goes by the wayside because one writer introduced him, another writer came in and either hadn't read that or wasn't fully aware and just never picks up on that again. So there's a lot of kind of loose threads not um, picked up on and kind of finished out. Yeah. Throughout this run, but going back to the Marvel Zombies stuff, I think that's a real highlight of this early period of of Ultimate Read. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's it's cool too, and I guess unfortunate because I don't think they're ever going to be able to pull off a twist like this again. Like when no. it comes to Not now, the amount of like... marketing and previews, and but I think now that like and like multiverse stories weren't anything new by the mid two right. thousands. It was it was an established thing. Like the Flash had ran into himself. 50 yeah. years prior at this point right um but now we're like multiversal crossovers are like a thing that even film fans yeah. have come to expect and can everybody understand. knows yeah things like spider-verse and the flash and no way home and dr strange i don't think it would be as big a moment if it happened now if that makes sense well and i think just the the idea of the twist itself being like okay we're gonna market this as the first big crossover between these two and then you don't really know until you open up the book oh no this is not at all what i thought it was i think it's something that's kind of been lost in our current comics climate where people know twists and turns six months out because of previews or leaks yeah it would have been interesting this is something i could go back and look at I wonder what the reaction was when that issue came out, where you have the final page reveal. That would be fascinating. How did, and how did fans react to that at the time? It'd probably be like now with like the age of social media, if that came out today, it'd be quite easy to see, you know, just go on Twitter, go on YouTube and see how easily fans are reacting and theorizing and what the kind of general mood is. Yeah. But it's harder to, to quantify. And it, for something that's only 15 years old, you'd have to go right. and look at like old message boards and maybe some letters pages if those Ultimate Fantastic Four issues had them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would be. But, I, but I think it's a fun story. I, I do have fun memories of of that, um, of that arc. Agreed. I, for me, it's really the when I think of Ultimate Fantastic Four, that's the story I think of, which mm-hmm. may or may not be a good thing. But I, I do really like that story, and then I think the twist works. Um, but yes, so. Are there any other uh, Fantastic Four stories specifically that you have fond memories of? Um, I'm just trying to think of the chronology. So you have um, you have the Ultimate Thanos bit, which is unfortunately a little bit forgettable. Yeah, from what I remember. Yeah, you have they they run into Ultimate Namor. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a bit with the Silver Surfer, and then you get like uh, in 2005. There's the four issue miniseries with Ultimate X Men, which is yep. like the first real crossover between titles. Yeah, you have the Ultimate Galactus saga around that period, which is fascinating. I think which brings together like the Ultimates are in that Ultimate Spider Man pops up. That's yep. the first real like event book of the yeah. Ultimate Universe, uh, and obviously like that's riffing off a story originally told in the Fantastic Four. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Even if Ultimate Galactus is. Galactas. The Ultimate Universe was very keen on reinventing characters in a very um, big way. And some really work, like Reed Richards. Some don't really work, like Galactus becoming a swarm of robot bugs. He could have been a cloud. 
Could have been a Could cloud. Have been a cloud. It, it's fine. Galactus gets his due in the Ultimate Universe a lot later. He, he sure gets does. a good story. He sure um, does. But yeah, I don't... Thinking about like the later half of Ultimate Fantastic Four, there's not really, after the Ultimate Galactus Saga and after Marvel Zombies, yeah. I feel like you're just kind of speeding to Ultimatum at that point. There's not yeah. a massive amount that jumps out to me. Which does bring us to Chapter 2. And I like to title this Ultimate Enemy because that's exactly what happens. Uh, Owen mentioned it before. The ultimatum wave ends up hitting New York, drowning most of the city um, due to Victor Van Damme, who is now completely metamorphosized into Doctor Doom. He has been 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 having his having his cake and eating it too being able to manipulate things from the side and also being like hey i think magneto would be a really cool thing if you could just use thor's hammer to like change the weather and stuff but during this you know we get the flooding of new york we get the deaths of so many characters in that story and at the end of the story Reed manipulates Ben into killing Victor. As true friends should do. As true friends should do. If you have an enemy, manipulate your best friend into killing them. Eric, uh, there's something I want to speak to you about after the podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. I got time. Okay, awesome. Um, It's also during this that uh, Reed finally pops the question to Sue. He picks a great time. Great time! Um, So one of the many heroes killed in uh, ultimatum one of the many characters killed off screen i'm pretty sure because there are so many heroes that are just die off panel yep uh is franklin richards yeah uh, sue and johnny's father and kind of like the the mentor figure to the fantastic four and a mentor to read right um he dies in the ultimatum wave and i'm pretty sure it's at the funeral <laughs> that reed is like this would be a great time to propose to sue He's like, I watched Spider-Man 1. How do I how do I make this all about me? Is what he's thinking to himself. I also because watched the narcissist. I also watched Spider-Man 3. And what I know is that death of loved ones really is a great time to rekindle a romance. Yes. So he 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 sees Sue grieving bawling her eyes out the loss of her father and himself feeling the loss of you know the father he never had and a, someone that gets him in a way that his biological parents never really did thanks gary um, and mary yeah thanks gary this is all your fault <laughs> <laughs> um and he thinks this would be a great time to make this all about me and, and propose to sue and shockingly surprisingly sue is not all for the idea uh, which reed handles in the best way possible by disbanding the team he is you know so the, embarrassed. You know the meme where it's like men will do X instead of going to therapy? That applies to the maker <laughs> more so than any other. Men would rather build a technological society that it accelerates. His brain out, live millions of out. years into the future and create an evil futuristic society and then try to assassinate the president of the United States. And then also at one point build an infinity gauntlet. Actually, at one point build two because, you know. That's right. He builds two. But he'd rather uh, do all of, that. Instead of just talking about his feelings. Just once. Just one time. He does get to hang out with aliens, though. It's really cool. So, 
yeah, the the FF disbands. Reed goes and moves back home with his family, which is a great situation for everyone that no one well, has a problem with. Yeah, so Reed Reed moves back in with his parents, and then the house immediately blows up. It's actually it's months later, okay, and we oh, find I've got this out mental image in my head that like you turn the page and it's just like just explodes. Well, that's how yeah. Ultimate Enemy starts. And it was yes. so funny to me because we, we covered this uh, last year in the book club. And I remember reading, because Malcolm was very adamant that we read that story. And I was like, okay, it doesn't really seem like a Spider-Man story. He's like, no, 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 no. it's really important that you read this. And so I remember oh, reading the first issue of that miniseries and just establishing Reed at home, hates it, his parents hate him, next page, house explodes. And I just... <laughs> I was like, what is happening in Fantastic Four at this point? Yeah, if you're reading that book without the context of, of what had happened to the Fantastic Four and Ultimatum, that is such a strange thing. It's so weird, but we find yeah, out so, that the yeah, whole so, so read... impetus of this is because during this time while he's living at home, he gets visited by Ultimate Kang, who we come to mm. find out is actually Sue Storm from Earth 13074, <laughs> who has watched the death of her universe and has decided, I'm gonna go save another universe. So this adult Sue Storm, who is also Kang, shows up to this Reed Richards and she's like, hey, your world's ending and I need your help. And he's like, great, let me kill my family and I'll get right on that. And so he does. And this is when he meets all of his alien friends who remain nameless. They are never named, and it bothers the shit out of me. I, I had a I was, whole conniption I, about this last year. I, I was going through the, the notes I made for the video I wrote before we recorded this, and I was like, surely I mentioned the, the race of aliens it was. Surely it's like, I don't know, is it the Kree? Is it like, and obviously the Shatari show up in Ultimates Volume 1. Yeah. Surely, and I was like, no, it's just they're the same race as whatever uh, Jessica Chastain's character is in X Men Dark Phoenix. We'll just never know. Surely, them. yeah. And they're also they're like whatever, they're like Yoda. Uh... They're like Yoda species. What is Yoda species? I don't know, but there's three of them now. They're I'm starting to get alarmed. They're all Yoda. They're multiplying. Well, one of them, an alarming one of them's rate. a Yaddle. Well, that that Yaddle is dead, as we know. Moment of silence for, for Yaddle. <laughs> Pour one out for Yaddle. Anyway, so, so, so he blows his house up and kills his family um, so he can hang out with aliens. Like you do. And he decides, I'm going to initiate coordinated attacks on the information centers of the Ultimate Universe. He and blows up a public library. You know... People don't need to read as much in the Ultimate Universe as they do in the 616, I guess. And Reed knows that. He's, he's, he's not big on, you know, public access to things. He's, he's got privilege. We know this. And so he also, during this time, attacks one Project Pegasus, which was a secret uh, site where S.H.I.E.L.D. did many heinous and questionable things. And he steals a bunch of their tech to help power his machines. And this is where he is confronted by Sue and Nova. Now I hear what you're thinking. Nova? Richard Ryder? No. Nova? Sam Alexander? No. 
Nova, John C. Riley from Guardians? No. This is Rick Jones, baby. Oh, Ultimate yeah. Rick Jones. I forgot that Rick Jones was Nova. Yeah. It's wild. But yeah. this is where they discover, oh, shit, Reed isn't dead. He's with these aliens, and they're going to ruin the world. Uh, but Sue and Nova are able to dispatch Reed, shunting him into the negative zone and giving them time to recoup, gather all the ultimates, and also Spider-Man, and go to meet Reed at his base of operations in the negative zone. This is during which uh, Johnny gets real mad and burns half of Reed's body. He sure does. Because he's just, he's he's he wants to put the button on the fact that their friendship is over. He really just... Wants to make sure that everyone knows that. Uh, in the confrontation, Reed's base collapses. He is left drifting in the end zone as everyone uh, returns to their normal reality. And Reed is never seen again. Never seen again. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed for the, it. For the second time in a year, Marvel had killed off Ultimate Reed Richards. <laughs> And it only took them blowing up his house twice. Yeah. So we see during this time, Reed gets time to reflect. Maybe I'm the problem. No, it's those kids that are to blame. They're the ones out of touch. Again, so much of the Ultimate Universe is like devastation and all the horrible things that happened in it could have been solved if Reed Richards saw a therapist. Just once. Just one Just time. once. Talking to someone really helps. Just... And maybe that's the lesson here. If you need to talk to somebody, just talk to somebody. This would be a great space to like segue into an ad read. Which is a great time to tell you that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a... <laughs> no. I, I've heard so many of those ads, I could probably do them by memory. But... Yeah. I... I do really, it, it's interesting because, again, I think one of the things that's so charming about Reed in 616 is the fact that he does have this kind of savior complex and that he takes yeah. everything on to himself because he doesn't really kind of believe that he can trust anybody else to do it. And it's it's, it's an interesting parallel to 616 Reed, who also has that in a way. Right. But I think the re, ultimate Reed is a lot, because he has less life experience and is not as mature as 616 Reed, exactly. kind of crumbles under the weight of those expectations. Yeah. Whereas 616 Reed, although he does quite frequently kind of shut himself off from the rest of the team and try to solve all of the problems by himself, yeah. is experienced enough to be able to do that most of the time. Yep. Like the toll it takes on Reed after the fact is another thing, but you can kind of count on 616 Reed to save the day. He's yeah, done it he'll countless always times. Show up. Whereas Ultimate Reed, it's like he tries to live up to the ex the reader's expectations of what Mr. Fantastic is. Yeah. But because he's so young and, and those abilities and the responsibility of being Mr. Fantastic is thrust upon him at the age of like 16. It's interesting to see him like, in a, almost in like a metatextual way, struggle to live up to the reader's expectations of the character and what those expectations ultimately turn him into, I think right. is, is a really interesting way of viewing that character in his arc. It's fascinating, and it is kind of a, a character study on two different paths that a character facing those kind of insecurities can go down. 
And so having some time to think, having some time to ponder and stretch that big brain of his, we'll get to that in a second, Reed decides, I'm not the problem. It's those darn kids that are out of touch. And so he takes the dead brains of his former alien minions, splices them together, and uses their brain power as a wetworks engine to power a teleporter and gets home. Why? Aren't comics just incredible? They're just how do you how do you even think of something like anyone that, that ever likes uh, anyone that looks down on comics and says they're like a lesser <laughs> art form needs to read uh, Ultimate Doomsday, and they they'll see this. And they'll be like, Reed is essentially taking his alien friends and to quote the great J.R.R. Tolkien, boiling them, mashing in them, sticking them <laughs> in a stew in order to traverse dimensions and return home. Incredible. He truly is on an unexpected journey, isn't he? So Reed decides to go there and back again and heads home to found the children of tomorrow and builds a brand new home base known as the dome inside this dome he has figured out how to artificially accelerate time so a year here is like a hundred years there and it seems pretty secure right almost as secure as a VPN, which brings us to our next sponsor, NordVPN. Do you ever feel like coming back from the negative zone that your security, your internet security specifically, isn't up to isn't up to scrap? Well, NordVPN is here to teach you how to cobble together the brains of your dead friends and construct them into a secure vpn to make sure that those blasted ultimates don't get any of your data i i was gonna go until owen stopped me honestly, but he... honestly i i was thinking in my head where i can take this ultimate protection turn your negative zone into a positive zone with no vpn <laughs> uh ironically if you because I, I was waiting to see if you actually did have a, a nord sponsorship to throw in here because if you chose search <laughs> Shark, if you go to surfshark.deal slash Owen, I'm pretty sure you can still get 83% off and three months extra for free. See, that I is think an that ad promo read. code still works. That is an ad read. They're not paying me to say this again, but you know, <laughs> if you're gonna get a VPN anyway, you may as well. Hey, get a they've deal. Uh, they've never paid me to say anything once. So the fact that they've gotten you once is is pretty pretty big get by them. Yeah, if you want to be the maker of a safer internet. <laughs> If you want to turn your your browser into a dome of protection and to uh make a read vpn read <laughs> the vpn of tomorrow you could say so reed makes this dome and this is where he kind of officially becomes the maker this is where he okay changes. so just a quick question about the dome and I, yeah. I promise we will have a serious conversation and not just riff on <laughs> like we've been doing for the past hour or so do you think the Simpsons movie is canon in the Ultimate Universe? Has to be. That's where he got his idea from. Okay, good. I just wanted to check. Not like the Stephen King book. No. No, the actual the Simpsons, Simpsons movie. movie. Yeah. What, he is, he is of that age. In the, in the Ultimate Universe, do we think the Simpsons maybe have different colored skin? Or do I we mean, think I, they're still yellow? I, 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 I try not to boil down the Simpsons to their skin color, but I believe that maybe it's possible... <laughs> 
I mean, I, I can just imagine, uh, you know, the, the YouTube channel um, Lemon. Uh, in his videos, all of the Simpsons are green for some reason. I'm just imagining that's how the Ultimates <laughs> version of the Simpsons, Ultimate Simpsons, Marvel. They do Simpsons comics. Someone pay me to write Ultimate Simpsons. I would pay good money to watch you turn Bart into the Simpsons version of the Maker. I think it'd be incredible. Now I and think I feel Lisa would be the Maker. I see. I feel like that's too easy. I feel like it's too easy. She has oh, to be yeah, the hero true. of the story. Bart will always be the villain. I've watched all of those future flash forward episodes. <laughs> but so Reed makes this dome. He officially becomes the maker, turns his impact suit into that sleek black suit that we know and love and extends his head into this little caterpillar helmet that Johnny Hicks is just in love with. He loves putting his characters in skin tight body suits and big ass helmets. You know, it's funny because I was reading something with Hickman a while back uh, when I was working on the video I did on House of X. And yeah. I don't know if I believe Hickman, and I don't know if he's gone back on this statement since. But I, I do remember reading something with him where someone pointed, the interviewer pointed out the fact that the maker and Professor Charles Xavier in House of X look almost identical. Yeah. They've both got these kind of skin tight black onesies on. They've both got the big metal helmet. To the point, like, when House of X was coming out, people were theorizing, is that just the maker I impersonating had Charles Xavier? I absolutely theory going around. And, like, this person asked Hickman, and Hickman was like, I never even made the connection, so I never even realized they look similar until now. And I'm like, bullshit. There's no way. There's no way. Hey, both characters are going to be in uh, Ultimate Invasion. In so. those specific costumes. So I, I hope he at least makes a comment. So but yeah, no, I, 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 I think the way in which we see, and we'll talk a little bit about like how we discover Reed's fate, yeah. uh, like through the eyes of the Ultimates shortly. But I, I, this is the point for me where I think Ultimate Reed Richards becomes like such a fascinating character because yeah. we've seen his descent throughout Ultimatum, Ultimate Doomsday. She's like everything that could go wrong for this character go wrong, yeah. and obviously we talked earlier about how this idea of the reader's expectations of what Mr. Fantastic is, Ultimate Reed being a younger version of the character, struggling to uphold those and eventually crumbling under the weight of his own destiny, essentially. Um, and so to see how he's kind of contorted and how his worldview skewed and how he becomes what's essentially like some amalgamation of like Ultimate Doctor Doom and Ultimate Kang the Conqueror yeah. is just so, so cool. And like seeing the grand reveal here, and obviously this is where Jonathan Hickman starts working in the Ultimate Universe. He writes the first 12 issues of this Ultimate series. Yep. And, you know, it's no secret that I'm a massive fan of, of Hickman's work. I, I I don't think he's ever wrote a bad comic. I don't think he's ever <laughs> wrote anything less than a great comic, to be honest. But I'll always have a massive soft spot for his short run on Ultimates. Because I think it's slightly overlooked because it's only 12 issues. It was when the Ultimate Universe was slightly less popular. Yeah. Uh, it's before he went and did like I think he'd done Secret Warriors maybe at this time, but it's before he went and did Fantastic Four. Yeah, and it's before he went and did Avengers. But I think this is this is some great comics. And it's also interesting because this kind of sets the groundwork for everything that happens in his later runs with FF, with Avengers, mm. with Secret Wars. Like it starts here in that Ultimate. Yeah, it's it's a great comparison piece to not only how. Hickman would write 616 Reed in his long Fantastic Four 
Future Foundation, and then even into Secret Wars. Yeah. But in how the Maker has always been like an ever-present fixture, and how even like just the idea and the concept of the Maker was yeah. later applied to characters like Charles Xavier as well. Like there's so many like, and obviously like it's an ultimate story, so the Avengers are a big part of this. Mm-hmm. There's so many kind of pieces in this book that later become like massive cornerstones of the next decade of Jonathan Hickman's writing. I just think it's really cool. Yeah. And it is like a, a an origin story of all the big things he would go and do at Marvel in, in the years since. Exactly. I mean, if, if, if there's somebody who loves Lil Reed Richards, it's old Johnny Hicks. But the dome starts to become bigger. And the more that they build inside of it, the larger that the dome becomes until no one can ignore it anymore. It's this giant structure. And so the governments of the world, you know, bring together the Captain Corps. These are captains from all over, Captain Britain, Captain everybody else. And they bring together this group alongside Thor, who is at the height of his powers. He's doing his thing, having a great time. And they invade the dome and are summarily ousted. They are stomped. And Thor is basically witness to, as Owen said, this tremendous reveal of the Maker. And we get, you know, we we see Thor being brought low. Maker comes out and he's like, oh, poor Thor. Like, you came in here, you thought you were going to be the hero, blah, blah, blah. And then we just cut to later. And Thor's like, guys, we're in deep trouble, man. And then it cuts back to the reveal of the little face mask opening. And it's Reed Richards. And it's like, yeah. holy shit. It's such a great, like, end page reveal. Yeah. Because I can't remember, like, and obviously... It would be interesting to go back and look if it had leaked earlier. Yeah. If it was kind of common knowledge amongst fans that this new villain was actually going to be Reed Richards or not. Because just reading it, not knowing, I think that's such a cool reveal. It's tremendous, yeah. So the the vault, or not the vault, the dome, the children of tomorrow, they are real interested in Thor. They're like, you know what? He's got a lot of power. I like what he's doing. So the children go and wipe out the remaining Asgardians and drain all of their power, including a large portion of Thor's. And then they use that newfound power to build an antimatter bomb that they use to wipe out Washington, D.C., killing the president, his entire cabinet, as well as most of Congress. Again, the the lengths one man will go to instead of talking to a therapist. (laughs) He's like, I will blow up everybody instead of going to my nine o'clock appointment. I am not interacting with people today. And so we see all of this going on, but the Ultimates rally. They are. Well, Captain America sees this and he's like, you know, obviously Ultimate Captain America is the most like patriotic and nationalistic. To a fault, I might add, if anyone's read the first volume of The Ultimates, or the second volume of The Ultimates, or or the third third volume of The Ultimates, or any book that Ultimate Captain America really shows up in. (laughs) Um, But he is like the most nationalistic, pro-American. He takes this as like, he takes this personally. Yeah. 
And so he rallies all of the ultimates. He rallies every hero that he can find against the dome, against Reed. And they are, they, they do a full scale, you know, invasion. We've got Clearwater or Credence Clearwater Revival playing the Some Folks Above made to weigh the flag as they're like coming down to invade the dome. And we get an all out war. And during this, we see, you know, Iron Man bring the full weight of his Stark technology that gets co-opted by the dome because of course it does. Tony, you idiot. Um, but eventually, through the intervention of Sue Storm and the appeals to the humanity of Reed as well as the children realizing, wait a second, maybe we've evolved past the need for Reed Richards. Uh, Reed is ousted by his own creation and defeated ultimately by Sue Storm and then later imprisoned by S.H.I.E.L.D. in the maximum security prison and that is where he is supposed to be left to rot. However. Okay, so there's a, there's a few interesting things I just want to pick up on before we move out of this please. first storyline. Firstly, I'm surprised you didn't dive deeper into the Reed and Tony subplot because there is a very, very bizarre um, section of this story all about Tony's tumor. Oh God, that's right. It's the, it's, it's, the it's been a while. Tumor. It's been a while since I've read this specific story, and I don't have it on hand. Um, yeah. But if I remember correctly, because obviously Ultimate Tony Stark's like insight and instance becoming Iron Man is a bit different from Six One Six. He has a like an incurable brain tumor, yeah. and he builds the Iron Man armor to kind of keep himself alive with that. Um, I'm pretty sure it's here that it's revealed that the the tumor has like its own consciousness. It's like and an it AI like commandeers an Iron yeah. Man armor. But at some point, and and this might get into a later story, isn't it also like an Infinity Stone? There's a there's a lot. This is some ultimate nonsense. Yeah, that that's 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 what this new book is going to be coming out by Johnny Hicks and Brian Hicks. Just <laughs> ultimate nonsense. But I do like the idea of having Reed and Tony face off because like their yeah. ultimate counterparts haven't really interacted before to a They're massive kind degree. Of on the same team. Um, but I can't outside of like Ultimatum and the Ultimate Galactus trilogy, I can't really think of a lot of times where they've actually crossed paths. So to see them have like a full-on conflict here and also like the two smartest minds in the universe going head to head, yeah, I think is quite a cool thing to say. Um and yeah, like bringing Sue back is just like the ultimate low blow for the maker. Has to be, has to be. Like any every 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 group of friends he makes, Sue has to come in and just like ruin it for him. <laughs> she. It's like you won't. It's like you won't be with me, but you won't let me ha be happy with other people. That's how Reed's seeing this. <laughs> you won't. You won't let me live, but you won't let me die either. So Reed is imprisoned by S.H.I.E.L.D. He is having a not great time. But then he's visited once again, speaking of Sue Storm, by Ultimate Kang. She's back. Yes. She is go. here because she has figured out that the key to saving his world is finding the Infinity Gems. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, and our non-binary friends. Before they were stones, they were Infinity Gems for the longest time. And so Kang has tasked Reed with finding the Infinity Gems. 
and breaks him out of prison so that he can remake the dome, which he now establishes is called the world and banishes the ultimates to the negative zone, thereby leaving a uh, little, little, little power vacuum for the ultimate universe. So he establishes the dark ultimates. Now, the Dark Ultimates is a fun little hodgepodge of a team that includes himself, obviously Kang, Hulk, objectively the worst version of the Hulk, uh, Quicksilver, which is fun, and a brainwashed Johnny Storm. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, okay, I think the Dark Ultimates is quite fun. Yeah. I like the roster when you say it out loud of it. It's the Maker, it's Kang, it's the Hulk, and it's Quicksilver. Sounds like such a strange melding of characters. Yeah. But when you think of them, like, I know they're the Dark Ultimates, but they're more of like a Dark Fantastic Four. Yeah. 100%. They're more of like a strange, like the Shelbyville version of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> um, and the story of them going and collecting the 10 Infinity Gems? Something eight like or ten. that. Because there's two gauntlets in the Ultimate Universe because yeah. everything's going to be twice as extreme as 616. Um. <laughs> I, I quite like this story. I think this is a lot of fun. Well, and then there's, you know, there's that extra wrinkle of, like, they capture Johnny, they brainwash him, so now he is also part of the team. So I think the, that Dark Fantastic Four analogy mm. works, because you've got two of the four members on the team. Ultimately, though, they are defeated by Iron Man, once again, making that intervention and allowing the two smartest men in the, uh, in the Ultimate Universe to go to war. So Iron Man defeats him. The Ultimates return, cast out the Dark Ultimates. Nothing oh, is you know, fixed. I just had a Nothing thought. You know what they could have done when Reed takes uh, teleports the Ultimates to? Because you just said Ultimate Return. Yeah. When Reed teleports oh, them to the negative zone, they should have done like Ultimate Heroes Reborn. Oh lord! Because Franklin imagine? was the one that sent them there in uh, in six one six. You imagine we'll just get every we'll just get all the somehow I felt to draw how do you make all the Ultimates. Again? How do you make the ultimates even more edgy and extreme? I want to like get like away their feet. to write it. You take away their feet. Yeah, that's how you do it. Those those designs by Liefeld would be ridiculous. Now, see, I, I'm thinking like get Garth Ennis to write this. Oh lord, like you think Mark Miller's edgy? Oh god, he's Garth <laughs> Ennis's ultimates. I, I'd I'd read a four issue miniseries of that, that and not be proud of it. Chill down my spine. Yeah, that that that'd be like a. I'm not happy about reading this, but I need to be a, in the know, so I'm going yes. to read this. But no, I I think this this story is quite fun. I I think Ultimate Kang is quite a cool character. Yeah. Um, it's such it's a, a cool it's such an interesting twist on kind of the traditional Kang the Conqueror. Yeah. Uh, who obviously is like a future descendant of Reed. Yep. Um, and also sometimes Iron Man. It's a whole thing. Depends. But like to, to flip that and make it Sue and like have her almost like this be kind of this scavenger type character who's trying to like prevent the destruction of the universe. And obviously like how it affects the maker of having essentially another Sue. Yeah. Uh, a more adult Sue is really cool. Uh, I think the Dark Ultimates... Because it's like a hybrid between, like, like I said, Shelbyville, Fantastic Four, and also like the Thunderbolts. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Well, like the, the Dark Avengers. So I think I think this is quite a cool, like, little underrated storyline running through the Ultimates. And see, this is why this is why Bart has to be the maker because then Lisa, future Lisa, becomes Kang, and then future Lisa comes back, 
And that's your ultimate Simpsons pitch. Stop uh, Stop stealing all my ideas. Sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, trademark on Lex Comics 2024 or 2023. I don't even know what year it is. Yeah, it's whenever, best to cover both just in when, case. Whatever now is. Um, but yeah, so Maker's back in prison and he's, you know, chilling. But then, as Kang foretold, the end of the world arrives as Galactus from the 616 through copyright TM trademark shenanigans is shunted from the 616 into the 1610 and we get one of my favorite ultimate stories cataclysm yes i love this I'm, story i'm so glad man. we've got like the two cataclysm stands <laughs> in the same call i think this story rules um yeah so the the big reveal at the end of of this story arc that sue's sue's universe was destroyed by galactus and that the reason why they were trying to build these infinity gauntlets was to save the universe from galactus Uh, a galactus that i'm pretty sure eats and destroys the six one uh 1610 galactus he he he's a Uh, they joined joined together i i read this last year again for the book club and it is the wildest thing because we've got the little like galactus swarm going through space and it's eating planets because I, I definitely remember seeing like the galactus swarm interact with big man in a chair galactus yeah man in a chair galactus just comes boom busting through and all of the swarms just like oh we like this guy so they jump onto him and they become this armor for him essentially yeah, they join with right. him and he becomes like uber galactus and this is where we get you know we find out this is what nova was made for the rick jones nova was here to stop this you know galactus amalgamation hybrid and he detonates himself along with an entire planet and it's not great but it blows up the armor off of galactus so then we just get 616 galactus that heads off to earth and then he arrives and things are bad for a lot of people (laughs) And so everyone is like, we don't know what the hell is going on here. We don't know what is, you know, why this thing is here, what it's doing. Why does it kind of like resemble Galactus in the most unrelated, loose, loose framing as we can. And then we see deep in the prisons of S.H.I.E.L.D. a little man with a funny little bowl cut who used to have a funny little bowl cut freaking the hell out. And it's our boy Mysterio from the 616 who is like, no, y'all don't understand. This is a real bad thing. This is real bad. I know so what this is. It's funny because, like, obviously Mysterio gets teleported into the, the end of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, the, the Bendis miniseries. Another but if you haven't read that, you, you must be so confused to what's like, going on. What is on. he doing here? But, but I love, but like, he serves such a good purpose of kind of being, one, like a bit of an exposition dump, and two, like, quickly demonstrating to the ultimate character's like the extent of which the threat Galactus poses. Yeah. The fact that Mysterio just immediately freaks out. Yeah. Like just lets them know from from the off that this is bigger than anything they've ever had to deal with. And I just love like the scope and the scale of it. Like if you go back into that Cataclysm miniseries or even like the Ultimate Spider-Man miniseries, which d- we did read, like I love the scope and the scale of Galactus. He feels yeah. big. Like, everyone just sees him off in the distance, and he's just, like, this just towering figure. Some of the art in that is just immaculate. But Galactus is there. They don't know 
how to fix this they're like mysterio like who like how do we beat this thing like obviously your earth is still around so who knows how to beat this thing and mysterio just offhandedly goes well i mean every time he shows up reed richards is always the guy that beats him and there's that slow turn where everyone looks metaphorically at one reed richards who's like oh hey guys it's me again it's ya boy and so they decide we are going to stage a little a little covert ops mission into the 616 to get as much info on this thing as possible miles is sent over there because there is no other spider-man as we as we know or at this point was established there is no 616 miles morales more on that Never, because we yeah, will not we'll, be addressing we'll never, that in this not, episode. Let's not get into that. <laughs> I'm not here to talk about Spider-Man 2, Eric, and I've done a very good job of my career of never talking about that book. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, so obviously everything's going to be in the Baxter building. How do we get in there? And we hear a little voice go, well, wouldn't you like to know? And Ultimate Reed Richards is like, I can get into that building. You have to take me with you. And so Reed and Miles go to 616. They get into the Baxter building. And this is when Reed comes to fa- comes face to face with basically the consequence of all of his sins. I, I just want to say this specific issue where Miles and Reed travel to the Baxter building in 616 so good. is one of my favorite single issues of any ultimate story. Totally agree. It's just, and it's such a great turning point in Ultimate Reed's arc here. Yeah. And it's like, and I think it's great as well, obviously, like Cataclysm was seemingly, it very much looked at the time like it was being written as the last ever Ultimate Universe story. Yeah. It was Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley coming back together to work on the series for the first time in years. And it was very much, you know, it it was subtitled The Ultimate's Last Stand. I think everyone assumed that it the ultimate universe probably wasn't going to survive this. Right. Uh, or at least this is how they would stop making ultimate books. Yeah. Um, and it's such a great blip onto the, you know, the classic Galactus saga of Lee and Kirby, where it is Reed Richards is the man that saves the, the universe from Galactus. Yeah. And again, that's thrust upon Reed here. And it's but where Reed is and what his headspace is, quite literally. It's such a fascinating flip on that concept of a Reed who is essentially at his morally lowest with the entire universe depending on him. And then, yeah, the, the issue where him and Miles go to the Baxter building and like he doesn't encounter and they don't like encounter. It's not like he bumps into 616 Reed, but just seeing the seeing the portrait of the family. He yeah. sees the adult version of himself and the rest of his team and two little kids that he immediately is like, those are our kids. This is, and yeah. he sees what could have been. And it, you think like, this is a read that's lost everything. Yeah. You know, part of, partly due to his own actions and partly due to things outside of his control. But this is a read who lost the love of his life, lost a, kind of the father figure that he never had, lost his best friends, lost his family both in terms of the Fantastic Four and his actual, you know, biological family. This is a, a read that like, and then like, you know, thinking about it from his perspective, the children of tomorrow kind of shunned him and ostracized him. He's lost everything. 
Yep. And so to see this kind of parallel world where all of the horrible things that happened to him didn't happen. And he's not only this, this revered celebrated superhero, but also a loving father and a husband and still a member of the fantastic four and grown into the man, that ultimate Rico only dream of becoming like it, it has such a profound effect on the maker in this story and to see, and you can really plot a course from this issue onwards of, a really interesting trajectory change in his character. It kind of fundamentally breaks the path that he was on because he Mm -hmm. was really kind of comfortable with being the mustache twirling villain for the, and it's interesting because like the maker remains a villain. Yes. He's still today, still a Marvel villain. So I don't necessarily think like this redeems him, but I think what this does is seeing the read that he could have become if things had gone differently. It gives, kind of perspective. gives him perspective. It gives him the perspective, but it also kind of gives him the self-confidence to be able to say, right, I'm Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. I can fix, I can save this universe. I can't undo all the things I've done. And I'm, I, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to go back to being, it's not going to put the Fantastic Four back together. It's not going to make Sue want me again. But for this kind of one moment, I can step up and be the hero that this read is. Yeah. And I, it's just such, and yeah, I, I love this story so and it's, much. It's also compounded upon because after they get the info that they need, they run smack dab into Valeria Richards. Mm. And Valeria, just this little girl who's just like, oh, hey, dad, what are you? And then there's this pause and she's like, you're not my dad. And just the, there's always been something I've loved about Valeria is that she's equal parts Reed Richards and equal parts Dr. Doom. And when you yeah. cross her, that Doom side comes out and the, that furrow, I can still see it so clearly. That furrowed brow is 100% Victor Von Doom when she's like, you're not my dad. And then she sets off the security protocols reed and miles just make it out of the building and back to their universe alive but they have a plan and i love the conversation that reed has with sue where he's like i saw what we could have been we had kids i understand that that's never going to happen here but i am going to try to be the person you always thought i could be in this moment like you were saying and he's like okay I have a plan. It's going to work. I need Kitty Pride. And so we get the crowning achievement. I have I have shouted at the mountaintops my fandom of Ultimate Kitty Pride. I think she's the best. She's incredible. And it's here that she gets to take center stage because they take her and they say, we're going to give you the giant Manson serum Hell to yeah. make you as large as Galactus. And we're going to use your phasing powers to disrupt his planet eating machine it's a it's a genius plan Mm -hmm. and so she does that galactus is defeated in so doing they open up a portal to the negative zone and thor ultimately sacrifices himself to launch him and galactus into the negative zone never to be seen again for now following this everyone's like okay we're uh we're i just, I just gonna... got a thing as well how much crap has reed dropped into the negative zone he's it, it, it's got to be that just like i don't need this anymore and he just shunts it off to the negative zone like, that place must be a mess now oh i'm sure but there's nobody to police it so 
it's it, it's like it's like a free little uh little compost area for him so but no i th- I think this story is fantastic i really it's do. so good i i don't and, understand and the, the hate for like, it genuinely I, genuinely me neither I, I remember reading this when it was coming out as someone that like was still a big fan of the ultimate universe but kind of accepted that it was just going to peter off and die yeah i'd kind of made peace with that this was going to be the end you know bendis and bagley are going to kind of send the universe off and then reed saves it yeah he does it which is so so unexpected and and we'll we'll talk about what this leads into shortly but yeah such a good book yeah it's it's tremendous i i really love this story and it's it's one of those kind of like you said, it's one of those triumph moments where it's like, no, we're not dead yet. Like there's still, we've still got legs and mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's amazing. So following this, they kind of decide, you know what? You've earned one. Everybody gets one, especially after they save the world. So we're going to leave you to your own devices. And Reed takes refuge in the remains of the Baxter building in this torn down building and it, that it's such a great parallel to read going to like the fully fledged yeah. baxter building in 616 yep and then returning you know returning there for the first time in years pretty much since ultimatum yep and kind of the comparison of what what 616 read has built this kind of monument to his heroics his family and the fantastic four yeah. And then the maker being sat alone in this kind of derelict and abandoned version of the Baxter building. It's Again, just such it's... a great, it says so much about the two characters and the path that they're on. Yeah. One that this is the difference in how they look and see the fact that when the maker's free, he could go anywhere in the world. We've seen he has the ability to kind of build civilizations, build these extraordinary kind of things. And the place that he wants to be is a rundown derelict Baxter building. Like the ultimate reminder of, his past and his mistakes. And it's, it's again, that parallel with doom kind of sitting atop the monument of his failures. Mm. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And this is when we get a real unfortunate story where of all people, spider ham shows up to read and says, look, the end of the multiverse is coming. And the key to everything is the child of Reed and Sue. I don't know what you're going to do with this information, but I'm going to go. And so he leaves and Reed decides we need to have a baby. And it's a real strange story. There's not a lot of good that comes out of it. He goes to Sue and he's basically like, hey, we need to have a baby or else the multiverse is going to collapse. And Sue's like, no, I hate you. And I'm in love with Ben. And through all of this by the end of the story it's real it's kind of it's it's a little icky but at the end of the story sue is having a baby with ben and that's kind of where this all leads and ultimately that ends up leading nowhere because unfortunately we find out that the key to this was not ultimate reed and sue's baby it was the children of the 616 reed and sue but we will get to that yeah, I, I try not to think about that story, to it's, be honest. It's unfortunate, because it it's just doesn't weird. lead anywhere. And it also kind of undermines the journey Reed was on. 100%. In between um, Cataclysm and Ultimate End. Because yeah. when we meet Reed in Ultimate End, like he is working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep. I know he kind of double-crosses them in the end, but like, yeah. he, like he, Nick Fury like really values Reed's 
expertise and import in basically saving the universe again, yeah. as he has previously. So to have this weird story in the middle where he is like, so uh, a strange multidimensional pig has told me we need to bang. <laughs> it's Sue's like, Reed, you've probably told me this 10 times. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a story that is better left forgotten, I think. But like yeah. you said, he joins up with S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, while still continuing his operations as the Maker in secret. He reconstructs the the dome, which is now not the world, it's not the dome, it's called the city. And he restarts the Children of Tomorrow. It's like he keeps putting out iPhones, and he's like, no, 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 this one's wildly different. I promise. But it's the exact it's gonna, same It's going to work this time. <laughs> but it's during this restart of the Children of Tomorrow that he discovers the the existence of these incursions where earths are starting to crash into each other and the death of the multiverse is coming. And so Reed in secret by himself goes on to dis to discover 67 incursions and destroys 67 earths to protect his world. No one else knows it's Reed alone saving the world 67 times, which I think is hilarious. 68 if you count su isn't that such a isn't that such a reed richards thing to do to yes to discover this this horrible thing and just immediately take it upon himself and tell and now the, no the difference the difference between ultimate reed and 616 reed is ultimate reed decides to handle it in the most genocidal and horrific way imaginable Eesh. yeah but it's okay he makes some lovely friends along he, the way lovely is uh is a relative term but so we see during this uh, during this campaign, he heads off to his 68th Earth to destroy uh, an Earth that is currently being uh, mapped out by the map makers. Don't worry about it. We're never going to reference them again. But it's during this that the world explodes prematurely. And it's during this little moment where he discovers a group of individuals known as the Cabal who are denizens of the 616 Earth who have taken it upon themselves to destroy other Earths during the incursion process. This is your Thanos. This is your Black Order. This is your uh, Black Swan. This is your Namor, mm. who, uh, as a side note, was about to betray the Cabal and kill them until Black Bolt and Black Panther said, this is for Wakanda, and stranded Namor on this Earth to die hilarious uh but maker brings them back to the ultimate universe and they're like hey we're pretty sure there's only two earths left and it's hey, our we're gonna earth. blow this place up <laughs> yeah probably shouldn't have brought us here but the maker says okay wait, wait wait hold on a second i don't think either of these earths are gonna are gonna survive so help me help me help you help me and so over the course of, I think it's like six months, they use the schematics that Namor knows about due to his involvement with the Illuminati to build a life raft that will survive the multiversal collapse and hopefully help them survive and move on into what comes next. And they are just in time to see the final incursion, the war between Ultimate Earth and Earth-616, and everything dies except two little life rafts drifting off in the multiversal space unknown to each other 
and they are able to escape the destruction of the multiverse. And we cut to eight years later, where the pod opens up, the life raft containing the Cabal and the Maker are inside, and they find themselves on a brave new world. This world is Battle World, and they are discovered by the Thor Corps, the main uh, police division enforcement of God Emperor Doom, who has taken on the power of the Beyonders and patchworked a world comprised of many Earths and turned it into his own personal little playground. And the Cabal are like, this seems like a good time to come out here and dominate everything. <laughs> However, Thanos, literally, Thanos quite literally licks his lips when he gets out of the He's just like, oh, there's, that, there's that great um, page, this good, the great splash page at the end of that issue, beautifully drawn by Asad Ribic, as the yes. entire book is. Oh, um, so good. Of, of Thanos kind of staring down like 50 members of the Thor Corps, just him single handedly just being like, I, I'm going to take these. Yeah, it's 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 that moment at uh at the end of Guardians three spoilers, where Craglin's just like, oh, I got this, guys. You can just hang yeah, out for no, a second. It, I'm gonna. It literally is. You got like the Maker and, and Namor and, <laughs> and the Black Order just sat there like, yeah, it'd be fine. He's got this. Let him. We're just one. we're just gonna keep listening to Redbone. You you do your thing. We'll be here. And and I love that we just cut to the next scene and he's just wiped them all out. And <laughs> our heroes who have also survived and escaped their life rafter like what the hell is going on and that's when doom shows up immediately kills thanos wipes out uh, the, most of the cabal it, it's so great because you have like the whole setup of, of thanos being like i'm gonna take this place over yeah. slaughters like half of the thor core and then doom shows up and just rips his skeleton out of his body gives him a straight up mortal combat fatality immediately no quite literally and like that is you couldn't do anything better to establish the threat of god emperor doom and yeah. just establish how powerful he is in this story it's it's incredible. just immediately do that to thanos anyway never mind like after what we've just seen thanos do yeah to 50 or so members of the thor core who are all incredibly powerful in their own right yep it's great and then like the the one-two punch of doom ripping thanos's skeleton out of his body and then like surveying the battlefield and just screaming richards yeah because he chills created every this, time this whole world without a reed richards and suddenly he's face down with two of them well that's the thing with with secret wars and i've gone back and reread this part of the book a few times because the maker makes a comment to 616 reader he's like yeah he's definitely talking to you yeah and it's like, does Doom know that the Maker is a Reed Richards? I mean, the the resemblance has to. I mean, he's got a little bit of you know Jonah Hex scarring, but it's like they're standing right next to each other, essentially. True, true. He's definitely just, calling out his, but the oh, fact yeah, that there no, are two of them is a problem. Yeah, because that's the whole thing with with Battle World, isn't it? Like Doom is this kind of patchwork of different shards and fragments of the multiverse all pieced together. But Doom was also very meticulous in making yes. sure that in every, um, there is no trace of Reed Richards. He has stolen Reed's family. He has yep. stolen Reed's friends. It is like a systematic annihilation of all things Reed Richards. So for two of them to show up, he's like, "This is bullshit." This is one is one is bad alone. Yeah, I can't. I I spent my entire life trying to get one over on one of them. <laughs> Others two. 
And and it's so funny because I didn't notice that on my initial read when I was reading it through it, you know, in 2015. But it was the it was the um the secret wars, the the battle world secret wars uh midi where I was like, wait a second, Reed isn't Reed was a big part of Civil War. Why is he not here? And then it kind of clicked for me. It's like, oh, he's taken all of these beats and these moments where Reed just isn't it's genius writing genius oh, writing is. by it our is. boy johnny hicks uh but the uh the sheriff essentially of the uh of the battle world stephen strange whisks everyone away to get them away from doom and doom rewards him by murdering him on the spot yeah, he, he man steals him yeah oof and our our maker Reed decides to join forces with 616 Reed to defeat God Emperor Doom. And through their machinations, they enact essentially a world war on Battle World. The little, the little scenes of the two of them kind of scheming together, this this like yeah. little buddy cop segment of Secret Wars <laughs> is so much fun. Because Wild as well, the like entire Earth knowing is just that brought up knowing that the maker is like seen and heard of 616 Reed. Yeah. He's seen his life. He's walked through the Baxter building to see like the ghosts of his failures kind of manifested in front of him yeah. and having to work with him. But it's also got this kind of like big brother, younger brother kind of vibe. Yes. Like the interactions between the two and like Hickman, you know, is the guy that created the maker. He is one of the best writers of the Reed Richards character ever yep. between Fantastic Four, Future Foundation, and then how he writes him in New Avengers. Like, I don't think any, there's very few writers that have a stronger narrative voice for Reed than Hickman for me. Yeah. And so like just the little interactions between the two characters uh, I'm in like the middle portion of the series. Yeah, it's so good. It's incredible. And we see them enact this plan, bringing almost the entire world against uh, Doom at his home at Doomstadt. And so they bring this incredible battle while our two little reeds sneak in all stealth like and they are there to find the molecule man i do just want to point out my favorite moment in all of secret wars happens the wall. in between no it's uh it's when doom and the maker are sneaking through like the the garden of, of doom's palace and they bump into sue oh yeah 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 and um, I can't remember the exact dialogue of what Reed says, but Maker's just kind of like hanging back uncomfortable. Yeah. Like the, the sight of any Sue Storm just like unnerves him. He's, got, he's, he's just working through his own stuff. Yeah. And there's the bit where like Reed says that I'm here to to slay God or whatever he says. Yeah. Um, and Sue is like, do you mean, do you mean God Emperor Doom? And he says, no, I mean Victor. <sighs> like that, I love that line so much. Oh. Yeah, that's I'm I'm gonna go reread that again today. I think that's I think that's gonna happen for me today. Um I mean one of my favorites though, like and I and I do love how Doom situated the Fantastic Four in this world. <laughs> Sue is yeah. his wife, he's got the kids. Ben is the wall protecting Doomstot. And it's so funny because it's it's taken me a few readings and a lot of thinking about Secret Wars to really think about why did Doom do this? Why did Doom steal Reed's family from him? Because yeah. like it's not a, it's not like there's a love triangle between Reed, Doom, and Sue. Right. It's not like that's an, like if Namor had 
stolen the powers of the Beyonders. It would make he definitely would have. Yeah, it would make so much sense. Um, but like, it's not th- like Doom and Sue have never been like they've never had a lot of romantic tension. That's never really been a major thing. So I've always I've always taken it as kind of like a keep your enemies closer type of situation. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that it's like you know. Because, like, obviously Reed is his arch enemy, but the Fantastic Four as a unit have done right. so much damage to Doom's life. So it's like, we've got rid of Reed, but that doesn't mean the other three might not still pose a massive problem. Yeah. So it's like keeping the other... So I can't control and I can't kind of keep Reed placated. Whatever yeah. I do with him in this reality, he will oppose me. So we have to get rid of him. The other three, like, I think I can manipulate, but I'm going to have to keep them as close as possible. Yeah. With the exception just, of Johnny I, Storm, who he sends off to become the sun, which, is which I do cool. love. It's so, it's so, that reveal of like the cut up to him and he's just like shrieking in pain, like, <laughs> oh, Doom's the best. Again, beautifully drawn by uh, Asad Robert. The art in that is so gorgeous. But so they get to the Molecule Man and they say, you know, he is basically the source of Doom's powers. He can unwrite this whole thing and we can fix this but then at the at the final hour maker's like yeah but maybe i want the world instead and so he betrays reed goes after molecule man but molecule man says no no thanks and he vivisects our maker he just slices them up in a little bitty pieces and then turns them into pepperoni yeah, he, we've we've got the pasta sauce, or the, the we've got the pasta of Reed and Multiverse of Madness. Let me tell you about the pepperoni pizza that is the maker. We are building a Reed family Italian night, and I am here for it. So the maker gets sliced up into little pieces, and then, un, you know, I think unintentionally, Molecule Man scatters him to the wind. Thereby, as we see the conclusion of Secret Wars leading into Reed building a brand new multiverse, throwing a little piece of the Maker into every single universe. So now, Reed has, our Reed, our our Maker Reed, has multiversal omnipresence. He knows what is going on in other Earths. There is now only one of him, specifically, so he has that multiversal awareness like Molecule Man does. I've always really liked that little story beat with the maker at the end of Secret Wars because like the parallel between him and 616 Reed is really cool where it's like the maker tries to, he tries to claim the throne of, of Doom and tries to take Molecule Man's power, but yeah. does it for selfish and nefarious purposes, a lot like what Doom did. Right. In the kind of name of being benevolent, but in a very self-serving way. What what Maker would create would be very similar to the world that Doom created. And then obviously at the end of Secret Wars, 616 Reed remakes the, the universe in a very selfless and thankless way. He, you know, there's the whole thing where like everyone lives, you see the universe kind of go back to normal, Doom's face is all healed. Yep. And Reed is just the Fantastic Four are even aren't even a thing. Reed's not even a superhero. He's just a dad and he's just a scientist and he's just an explorer. The things he's always been. Beautiful ending to Secret Wars beautiful ending to read you know this was yeah the time when we thought we were never going to get any more fantastic four comics it was and kind of beautiful. Was the case what a way to end it I, yeah. I love the ending of this book so 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 much um 
And I hadn't really considered it until the way you just framed it then, this idea of like the Marvel universe that we exist in now was created by Reed Richards yeah. uh, at the end of Secret Wars. But then by having a little piece of the maker, he is like the, because imperf- he is like an imperfection of Reed. Right. He is like the tiny little cracks and the tiny little imperfections in every universe. By being this kind of like dark deconstruction of Reed Richards representing the the universe we exist in represents the best of Reed Richards. But there's this small imperfection within each one that represents all of the darkness of Reed Richards. And that's the maker. I I just think that's so cool. It's it's incredible. It's and thematically with the kind of absence of reed as he sue franklin and valeria go off to create the new multiverse we still get a reed it's just not the reed you were expecting because in this brand new world that they have created this brand new 616 the maker pops back up again as the Mm -hmm. leader of this organization whisper and he has tasked them with building machines so that he can remerge the multiverse. He got a taste of Battle World, and he's like, "Yeah, I kind of want a piece of that." So he starts working towards that. However, he is opposed by the new Avengers of AIM, aka Avengers Idea Mechanics, headed by one Roberto da Costa, and he decides. I don't want to fight new Avengers. I'm going to make new Revengers. And so let me run this down for you. He already made the Dark Ultimates. Great little team. Notable members. Let me see if you know more than one of these characters, okay? Angar the Screamer. My Osti, favorite Marvel character. <laughs> Osti the All-Seeing. Omnitronicus. Pybok. And Vermin. Everyone remembers Vermin. Everyone remembers Vermin. Everyone read Craven's Last Hunt. Weird guy from Craven's Last Hunt. <laughs> you know, it's bad when he's like the most well-known character yeah. in a team. <laughs> and so, obviously, the new Revengers are no match for the new Avengers, and so they are summarily rout- routed, and uh, the Maker's imprisoned again. However, now having this multiversal you know, omnipresence and that allowing him to have access to uh, some fun new abilities. He's able to escape the uh, escape his confinement and seeks out the high evolutionary, everyone's favorite MCU villain, because he wants to initiate and instigate the Eternity War to allow the multiverse to become in such conflict that he would be able to step in to wrangle it. And this is when he encounters the new Ultimates. This is during the Al Ewing run where he is kind of, again, a multiversal threat. However, this new team of Ultimates, the best team of Ultimates, are essentially the Avengers for the multiverse. That whole What If show on Disney+, Plus. that's what they wish they could be. And... This is, first of all, great run. Go read this. But this is where the maker is defeated by Spectrum, Monica Rambeau. We love her. You know her. As well as being betrayed and defeated by the High Evolutionary. You never trust that guy. 
You'd never trust that guy. He hurts animals. And you should never keep never trust up. anyone that hurts animals. This podcast is brought to you by the RSPCA. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. As well as the Humane Society of Pasadena, California. Hell yeah. And we see him also clash with the Future Foundation at this point, but he's really not doing a whole lot until he gets the idea. If I'm one of many Reed Richards, there's got to be a club of us somewhere, right? Like, we <laughs> must have made a multiversal treehouse somewhere. And so he goes through the arduous process of applying for membership at the Council of Reeds. <laughs> the way you phrased the Council of Reeds reminded me of the bit in The Simpsons where Bart's trying to get into the treehouse. Yes! And it's like, no Bart's allowed. <laughs> and they've just it's got like, a sign, no makers. It's like, we're already, makers we're already allowed not apply. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he comes to the council of reeds he's like i want to be part of this and they're like no dude you suck <laughs> like we're bad but you you my are friend. objectively the worst read and so they but but they don't really have a reason to not allow him because there are some very terrible reads in the council of reeds so they pull the ultimate trump card and they're like you know what a big deal breaker and kind of a requirement of membership you have to come from an Earth. And buddy, you don't have an Earth. Earth 616 has a read, and it's not you, it's my guy. Dick, dick, dick move from the Council of Reeds. Which, I mean... Very, very on track with any version of Reed Richards. Their last but, name is Richards. But, but don't antagonize the maker. That's the big takeaway we need to, yep. to establish here. Because immediately... Give justification for doing evil things. Immediately, he's like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I will be right back. And he establishes Project Oversight, a, a organization devoted to bringing back and restoring Earth-1610. And through this, he creates a portal similar to the one that was used in Spider-Man, and later on in Spider-Man 2, but we don't talk Spider-Man 2. However, for whatever reason biological matter cannot cross this portal cannot make it through so he needs to figure out a way to get through this portal and figures out the key to this is the ultimate venom symbiote because it is not a living organism it was artificially made by the uh richard parker and eddie brock senior of the ultimate universe and so he can coat himself in that and make it through this portal so he lures the symbiote over to the 616 and begins experimenting on it during this experimentation process he also captures 616 eddie brock who is going through a lot at this point and decides to use him to help him unlock the secrets of the symbiote. However, of course, Eddie realizes, oh, this is a bad deal. You're a bad guy. So he betrays him and helps to defeat the maker with Reed eventually unlocking the secrets behind the symbiote on his own and bonds with it. However, it's unstable. He has to retreat to the sewers. And so he continues his experiments so that he can stabilize the symbiote, eventually is able to fix the patches that are broken, gives it some software updates, improves upon it, 
And this is when, at the end of his experimentation, he is approached once again by Eddie to check on his son Dylan. This is during all of the maximum carnage stuff that's going on. Um, he is indoctrinated for a brief moment in the into the cult of Null and is like, this is a bad deal. I am no longer having a good time, so I am ready to go home. Uh, the uh, The reunion between Eddie and the Maker does not go well, and they are attacked by virus who is another symbiote don't worry about it it's not important here but during this attack the portal malfunctions and the maker is sucked through it he makes it home but he finds this ultimate universe as a world on fire and he says hell yeah yeah and this is where so, he ends this is the last time we've seen him yeah so i so I wasn't reading uh, the Venom run at the time. I'm shocked. Um, the only the only thing that really dragged me into it was to see what the maker was up to. So I kind of like dipped in and out of this this run sparingly. Yeah. But I definitely remember that final issue reveal where Maker in the symbiote is kind of hurled through the portal, ends up in the Ultimate Universe, and it is completely in ruins. It, he, he lands in Central uh, Times Square, and it is just completely ablaze. Yeah. And we're going to bring it up again. It's such an interesting parallel to Spider-Man 2. And I have questions yep. um, of many people. Because at the end of Spider-Man 2, it's revealed that the Ultimate Universe is alive again. That Reed yep. has reconstructed it. And we see a new version of the Ultimates existing. And it seems pretty harmonious and seems pretty safe and happy and normal. Yep. And then we jump back there at the end of this storyline in Venom. And it is completely, not only is it completely in ruins and completely ablaze, there's signs up all over Times Square saying ultimates? like, where are the ultimates? Where have our heroes gone? Yeah. And we still haven't got an answer. We still don't know. And I've had this conversation with a few people talking about what Hickman's going to do in Ultimate Invasion. You know, because one of the things I think after Reed goes back is, is Eddie kind of tells the Avengers that he expects that the maker will be back in 616. That like he's gone, he's gone through a portal, he's gone back to his own dimension, but he believes that there is going to be some sort of invasion, an yeah. ultimate invasion. Da -da! And it's funny because like, obviously, Spider Man Two was one of Bendis's, one if not the Bendis's last stories before he left Marvel and went to DC. Yeah, um, and it was kind of like him wrapping up the Ultimate Spider Man section of his career, which yeah. is a massive part of his time at Marvel. Uh, so the ending was, you know, the quality of Spider-Man 2 aside, it has quite a pertinent <laughs> ending where we see the universe that Bendis essentially created alive and well, which I think is a, I can understand why Bendis would want to establish in his last kind of Marvel story that the universe that he especially, particularly spent the best part of 20 years building is okay. Yeah. And then we see in, in the Johnny Cakes Venom run that it is not okay. <sighs> it is to quote decidedly not American okay. rock band My Chemical Romance, um, which I'm sure the maker is a huge fan of, to be honest. He's got to be a huge fan. He, I mean, teenagers scare the living shit out of me. Like, yeah, exactly. He's talking about him. the rest of the Fantastic Four. He's talking about Sue <laughs> anytime he bumps into her. He's like, oh, God, no. Um, but yeah, so, and like Hickman, like Bendis is a writer that, disregards other other writers continuities that are win he sure does 
you know, anyone that was reading Superman when he subsequently went over to DC will tell you that. Like he yep. is a writer that plays fast and loose with canon. He's always done that. Sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it is the best thing for the story. Sometimes it can be quite frustrating. Jonathan Hickman is not that. No. One of the reasons why I love Jonathan Hickman so much is he makes comics more difficult for himself because yeah. he could do that. And no one would judge him if he um, pretty much picked up Ultimate Invasion after Secret Wars right. and didn't focus on anything that Johnny Cates or Bendis had done with the Ultimate Universe. Because obviously yeah. he wrote Secret Wars. We don't know kind of what he had planned next, maker-wise. So he would have been completely in his own right to just kind of pick up from there and not really dwell too much on what yeah. Cates and Bendis would be doing. But Jonathan Hickman tells complicated stories that he tie in does. everything. This is this is a man that, in his first ever issue of Fantastic Four, <laughs> there's a bit where Reed meets the Council of Reeds, and one of them makes an offhand mention to Incursions. Oof. In the and first asks, issue. In the first issue. And, and Hickman wrote that title for like four or five years. And then Reed asks, what is an incursion? And the other Reed is like, well, let's put it simple. Everything dies. Which then like bookends all of New Avengers. And then is like a bookend Secret Wars with Everything Lives. Like Hickman is a, a guy that tells like decade long stories that not only yep. like interweave and, and connect his own writings, but brings in like loose threads in the writings of other writers and makes sense of those as well. Yeah. He is a writer that like accepts continuity as a challenge and rises to it. So I'm deeply fast. This is a guy that explained like the complicated history of Moira McTaggart in the X-Men universe. Yeah. How sometimes she's dead. Sometimes she's back pretty much like this is the guy that made sense of the last like 20 years of X-Men, which has been a complicated mess. And also tied it up with a nice little bow. Yeah. And so to see, and the fact that, you know, we're, we're talking about the maker now, kind of in lieu of Ultimate Invasion coming out soon. And I'm so fascinated because I know he is going to pick up where Donny Cates left off. Yep. And we're going to learn what happened to the Ultimate Universe. But, you know, we saw it alive and well again. Yeah. How did it get to this point? Where are the Ultimates? And then what does the maker want with it? And what yeah. does he want with the 616 universe? I am so, so excited. When that book was announced, um, I remember tweeting, like, Jonathan Hickman has made this especially and exclusively for me. Yes. Because <laughs> I've been I've, I've been itching for some more Hickman. Yep. Um, the maker is one of my favorite Marvel characters. I love the Illuminati. Uh, it's drawn by Brian Hitch, one of my favorite artists of the last kind of 20 years. It's just a perfect storm of of characters I love to see, writers and artists I love. I'd love to see working together. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm super excited for Ultimate. Absolutely Invasion. agree. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. And as as of this uh, as of the release of this episode, to piggyback on something we talked about last week with Malcolm, um, I'm just going to jointly say that Hickman listened to our book club from last year and was inspired to reintroduce the Ultimate Universe, but was like, you know, who would really love this. Owen, so I'm going to put the maker in here. So it was a joint I, effort been from saying, us. I, I have been on the record for the best part of two years saying, you know how when they did the New 52 relaunch that they had the, the Earth 2 book that James Robinson and late, I think Tom Taylor worked on it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just like one book and it was an entire separate 
continuity. It was like the original Earth 2 in like name only. Yeah. And it was basically just like ultimate DC, but yep. on its own book, in its own universe. I've been saying for years, Marvel, give me that, but yeah. for the ultimate universe. 100%. It could be an anthology series where each issue looks at a different character. Yeah. It could be, we could focus on a group of characters. Just give, give me some ultimates. Yeah. And then when they were like, no, we're not going to let you write it. We're going to let Jonathan Hickman write it. Like, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Like, fine. I'll allow it. Whatever. Can I draw it? And they were like, no, we're going to get Brian Hitch to draw it. I'm like, okay, that's fair enough. I guess Mark Bagley was busy. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's really exciting. I am, I'm super no, I, I'm I'm so this. excited because like, obviously the circumstances in Hick, Hickman's sudden departure from X-Men are still yeah. quite unknown we weren't really sure like what terms him and marvel were on yeah i know a lot of people had kind of there were some hopes that hickman might go over to dc and do some stuff there Should be i was wild. seeing recently uh there was talks that he at one point was going to work on new gods at dc which makes me so and the sad. legion and legion like, i'd heard about legion i'd heard rumblings of that for a few years yeah. but i'd never heard anything about hickman wanting to write new gods which I just, is like I, the I, ideal I need, I need hickman to do a full, you know, Fantastic Four, Avengers, Secret Wars as a love letter to read, but I need him to do that for Matter Eating Lad and just do the full 10, 15 years plus talking about the love story of Matter Eating Lad and just really dig into him. Because he is the DC Universe equivalent of of Reed Richards, as everyone knows. It's cool because like... (laughs) I, I really like the notion of Hickman going and do new gods because Hickman seems to really love doing big runs with Kirby characters. Yeah. Like Fantastic Four, X-Men, yeah, uh, you know, Avengers as well. But like they seem to be the characters that Hickman gravitates towards, especially like the big, like overly conceptual yeah. Kirby stuff. Like the ones that are like full of deep science and lore and mythology. Hickman right. had probably like, and it's, it's, you know, a lot of critics of his X-Men run call it this, but it's a reason why his X-Men run has a fair amount of like Inhumans and Eternals-ness yeah. about it. Because Absolutely. that is like the deep Kirby lore and the deep yeah. Kirby science and mythology even like embeds some of that into the X-Men. Right. And so the notion of Hickman going and doing New Gods, which is like cosmic Kirby with the chains off, like yeah. unfiltered Kirby, almost to a fault at times. Yeah, for better it's very hard to read. Look, I love Jack Kirby. I love the fourth world. It's overly complicated and it can be hard to read at times. Yeah. But I want to see I want to see Jonathan Hickman writing the forever people. Yeah. And and it, it makes me really interested in this gods, you know, as an yeah, acronym thing that he's that seems like a very GT. like Neil Gaiman-y. Yes. Kind of thing. That's the vibe it gives off. Very I, Sandman, I'm excited yeah. to see. Yeah, it's very Sandman inspired. And I think Hickman's even said like it's inspired by Sandman. Makes sense. I like the idea of of Hickman with a Doctor Strange led book. Yeah. Um, obviously, like we only got glimpses of that in Avengers and then in Secret Wars, but I think he writes the character really well. Agreed. So it'd be really interesting to see that. And then, yeah, Ultimate Invasion was not on my bingo card at all. <laughs> I never thought Hick- because Hickman's been doing these long, very philosophical, very kind of mythological style runs like his x-men right. run is so steeped in lore and mythology Absolutely. and creating this high concept world of the x-men and like such deep sci-fi 
and like yeah. the rumblings of, of him doing New Gods and Legion. I kind of just accepted now that Hickman will only really do seven-year runs where he completely reimagines a character in it or a concept or a team in its like own corner of the Marvel Universe. So to see him do, no, I'm going to do a, like a four-issue miniseries that brings back the ultimate universe and is all about the Maker and Miles. I'm like, yeah, give me, give me all of this. And to that point, I think, you know, like you said, Hickman is kind of known for, you know, these long sprawling epics, but we already referenced how much he can do with just a 12 issue maxi with that ultimate well, that, run. That's the so fascinating thing that like Hickman that has left such an imprint on yeah. the ultimate universe, despite the fact he only wrote 12 issues. Yeah. It, it's by far the shortest run of his entire career. And yet it's still one of the most impactful in the characters he created and the stories he told. So I'm so fascinated. I, I, there's there's rumors, and I don't know how accurate they are, that the it might not just be the four-issue series. There might be more ultimate books Fingers sticking crossed. around Fingers in some crossed. form. Because you know, we've got like some kind of sneak peeks and teases of what the ultimate universe looks like, and it looks very different. Yeah. Um, it's weird. I've seen like the images of like Loki and Thor, and there's the one with the Hulk. Like I'm yep. very intrigued to see. It, it very much looks like the maker has rebuilt the ultimate universe in his own image. Yeah. Which, you know, given that what we've talked about, his plans were from secret wars onwards feels I'm... very accurate and very apt. Yeah. So I'm interested to see kind of what becomes of his universe and then a universe that he saved before. So he, yep. there is a kind of gold complex to that, but Absolutely. then also what brings him into conflict with, is he like, why is he seeking out Miles? Is he trying to bring him back to the ultimate universe? And then by extension, how does that lead into a conflict with the Illuminati? I'm yeah. so excited and I'm so intrigued and I can't wait. Yeah. I, I want a moment with Charles Xavier and the maker where they do the <laughs> Spider-Man point at each other and they're just like, nice threads. And and Xavier's gonna and Xavier's gonna say it. I don't see the resemblance. It's weird. <laughs> It's gonna be great. No, I'm I'm excited for him to take his his more you know ultimates you know short form energy into this, and maybe we'll get more. I'm really excited. But as we're as we're wrapping up the maker here, I want to give some quick recommended reading. If you are interested in diving further into anything that we've talked about here, um, first thing, Ultimate Enemy. It kicks off the whole thing that we've talked about. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, Rafa Sandoval, Ultimate Enemy number one through four. It's the birth of this character. It's the birth of where he kind of starts before he becomes officially the maker. It's where Reed breaks bad and he becomes the bad guy. Uh, we already alien friends. Yes. Uh, we we referenced, uh, we've been talking very positively about Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates, uh, Jonathan Hickman, Asad Ribic, Ultimate Comics. I like to start you off issues one through six. If you loved it, head straight through seven through 12. It's wonderful. This is where the maker takes center stage. This is his de big debut. Also, we talked about it. You know, I got to put it on here. It's Cataclysm, baby. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, Mark Bagley. This is Cataclysm, the ultimate's last stand, number one through five. This is where we get that incredible issue where the maker travels to 616, where he helps to save the world. Uh, Secret Wars, of course, has to be on here. Hickman and Ribic once again reunite for Secret Wars issues one through nine. Read me read is a wonderful time we get that fun little bit of them just sneaking through as the world is ending around them 
Uh, Ultimates 2, that's like Ultimates Squared, uh, written by Al Ewing and, and with art by Travel Foreman. Uh, this is issues 1 through 9, as well as issue 100. So basically the entire Ultimate Squared uh, run. Again, wonderful series, great, great team. Not to be confused with Ultimates 2, which is Mark Mello and Brian Hitch, which is a, a very different book. Yes, a very different book. And objectively has a lot less Reed Richards in. Which is, I think, to its detriment. And then finally, we mentioned it as well, Venom. Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman, Ivan Coelho. Uh, this is Venom issue 7 through 12, Absolute Carnage, issues 1 and 2, as well as Venom issue 17 through 20. It's kind of all of his involvement in that series. And issue 20 spits him right back out where we ended. So we have we are here i'm very excited to see what he does in ultimate invasion it's going to be a blast uh any final thoughts on the maker as we're uh, as we're as the sun is setting pretty cool character not gonna lie kind of <laughs> rad does a lot of bad things but looks cool doing it now i you, you know, we, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast it's one of my favorite marvel characters the journey that this character has been on over the last 20 years of publication yeah makes him one of the most like morally complex superhero characters that I could think of. And it's and it's a testament to the the advantages of things like the Ultimate Universe, where you can take these bold swings with established characters Absolutely. and create something really wonderful and unique and cool with them. They never would have been able to do this with 616 read. Um an example is like a comparison that springs to mind to me is Parallax. Yeah. Like DC tried to take Hal Jordan uh, and turn him it like he suffers an immense loss and trauma. He has this breakdown and he becomes this horrific villain bent on remaking the universe in his own image. And that run only lasts for two, three years. Yeah. Like that runs from like Emerald Twilight to Zero Hour to Final Night. Yep. That's wrapped up in like three or four years. And then he gets his redemption. It's retcon that now Hal Jordan didn't go bad. He just breathed in a cloud. And then. <laughs> Since then, like we just don't talk about Parallax, <laughs> which is a shame because I think that is such a fascinating period in Hal Jordan's history. So if, if they were to do the maker in 616 and if the Ultimate Universe hadn't existed, it probably would have gone down a lot like that. It would have been like a brief, it would have been like more of a superior Spider-Man thing, like a cool little detour, but one that kind of very much gets left in the past. Yeah. Whereas with the advantage of having this separate continuity, where especially post-Ultimatum, you were basically allowed to do whatever you want. Yeah. And writers took that and did really, really cool things. We got Miles Morales out of it. We got someone's really excited. We got Jimmy Hudson out of it. We got hey! the maker out of it. There you go. Like we got really, really cool, unique characters. I think Captain America became the president for a while. Sure did. Like, and it shows the advantage, like the legacy that the Ultimate Universe leads behind that Miles Morales is now one of the biggest characters Marvel has. I just went to see an incredible movie starring him uh, at the weekend. And the maker is going to be leading uh, a miniseries written by Hoss, quite possibly the writer with the biggest hot streak in all of comics right now. Yeah. And it's going to be awesome. And if anyone's listening to this from Marvel Studios, return my emails and listen to my pitch for a maker movie starring Miles Teller, because I think that'd be awesome. It would make so much sense. Or if you're so insistent on this being like a multiversal phase for the MCU, you're doing this Fantastic Four movie with Adam Driver as Reed, by all accounts. I think that'll be pretty cool. If you want to have the maker as a villain, cast Miles Teller. 
I'll, I'll watch that in a Fantastic Four movie because 100%. Fan Four Stick literally is Ultimate Fantastic Four, down to it not being that great. Uh, <laughs> so it's perfect opportunity. So yeah, but no, the maker's awesome. I've, it's been like such a great stroll down memory lane, thinking about all these awesome comics that he was in, yeah. whether it be Ultimate Fantastic Four, um, Hickman's Ultimates, Cataclysm, Secret Wars and Beyond. So many great books, such a cool character. And I'm so, so excited to see uh, Ultimate Invasion and what he does next. Same here. Owen, it is always a pleasure having you on the show. I really do appreciate you setting aside the time. Uh, for our listeners want to follow up with stuff you're doing, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, so uh, firstly, Eric, thank you for having me back on. It's always an absolute delight to chat with you and be on this podcast. Uh, it, it just slightly ruined my week because I love listening to Geek Explained and I can't stand <laughs> can't stand the sound of my own voice. So it means there's one less <laughs> podcast a week I get to listen to. Um, yeah, youtube.com slash Owen Likes Comics. Uh, I have a video on the channel that's maybe a year or so old where I dive into all of this stuff, talk about the maker yeah. and explain why he is, and I quote, the ultimate Marvel villain, which is a, <laughs> a play on words that I'm quite fond of. Um, the next video going up on the channel when you listen to this will be a deep dive into the Flash issue 123. I'm it's so stoked. One single issue may have just changed the entire comic book industry forever. Um, it is the accidental origin of the multiverse. It is the flash of two worlds. And we're going to look at how one humble and unassuming flash story from 1961 um, accidentally started a trend that has resulted in not only books like Secret Wars that we talked about today, things like the Ultimate Universe. You wouldn't have got the maker if it wasn't for the flash of two worlds. And then how it's led to things like Across the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man No Way Home, and the Flash movie. So check that out. And yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Likes Comics, and I'll probably be back on the Geeksplain podcast soon. It's only a matter of time. Only a matter of time. Forbid, forbidden Doors coming up, and we'll probably want to talk about that. We 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 might just. We might just. We'll talk about uh, the real maker. <laughs> the Rainmaker. <laughs> yeah, I I love Owen's stuff. Um if if you aren't already aware how much of a fan I am of Owen, um I've been for years. His stuff is always incredible. I am. When you announced the video that you were doing would be on the Flash, specifically the Flash of Two Worlds story, like I popped big pop for that. I'm really excited. Um, and I and I it is really the, the birth of what we know now is the modern multiverse. So I can't wait to uh, have you back on here again. We'll open up that forbidden door very soon. And it's going to be fantastic welcome back to this week's comics countdown for the week of june 14th 2023 this is the segment of our show where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week whether it's at your local comic book shop or comicsology or however you get your comics these are the ones i think you should definitely take a look at but before we get into this week's books we got to take a look back at last week's books with the geek explain pick of the week of last week and top in the charts for me was the flash number 800 a beautiful Beautiful swan song for Jeremy Adams' time on the book, and also a look back on creators who have absolutely smashed it. And the book 
you know, said on the cover. It's a celebration of Wally West, and it really felt like that. So I'm excited. I even really liked the snippet into the Spurrier run that is upcoming. So I'm very interested to see where they go from there. Uh, there's some steep competition, though. I want to do give a shout out to Mutant, Mutant First Strike, which I thought was really, really good. Who knew that taking superheroes as disaster relief could be such a compelling story? Who knew? Weird. It's almost like superheroes are better off saving people than, you know, killing them. Just me. That's weird. But yeah, that's last week's books. This week, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books for you to check out. So let's kick things off with two brand new number ones. First off, we have Spider-Man India number one. I'm going to apologize ahead of time if I mispronounce names. Please correct me. I'm trying my best. Uh, but it is written by Nikesh Shukla with art by Abhishek Malsuni. And this is... Our boy! This is our boy from Across the Spider-Verse. If you have, uh, if you've seen it, I've seen it twice as I'm recording this, uh, you know that he was one of the best characters in the movie, uh, and he's getting a, getting a really great little spotlight here at the perfect time, right after the release of Across the Spider-Verse. I'm kind of hoping, looking at this, that he eventually gets his Across the Spider-Verse uh, design because his old design, it's fine for what it is, but it doesn't feel unique, if you know what I mean. Like, it doesn't feel like it is of that, you know, of that culture. And I think that the design that we ended up getting in Across the Spider-Verse is much, much better. So I hope, fingers crossed, that eventually does make its way in. But for now, let's tackle this synopsis. Spider-Man India Returns Just in time for his big role on the silver screen, Spider-Man India returns for his first miniseries in almost 20 years. Pavitar Prabhakar is back, fresh from the end of the Spider-Verse in his own universe's Mumbai. But things aren't exactly simple. There's a science professor promising results, activating people's lizard brain, along with a ruthless businessman who may be more than he seems. Don't miss the breakout Spider character of 2023. Marvel obviously knew what they were cooking with him in the film and hopefully they give him the push that he is uh he deserves after all this and him alongside spider-punk i think spider-punk was probably my favorite character or at least my favorite new character in the film but him and him and Pavitar were very very cool and i'm i'm excited to get more of them when we eventually get that third movie whether it's next year or however long it takes uh the other new number one is black panther number one this is written by eve ewing with art by chris allen and i just i'm a big fan of eve ewing's writing and i'm a big fan of this new direction for t'challa i love this design it's featured on the cover it's i'm, I'm a sucker for taking a character who does not normally have a cape and giving them a cape. And it is, oh, it's just so cool. This also seems to be a much more pared down version of the character as opposed to his, you know, space emperor self that he's been for a while. So let's dig into the synopsis and find out a little bit more. A king without a crown. Banished from the throne and a fugitive in his own homelands, T'Challa still can't leave Wakanda without its sworn protector. A king without a crown, he finds new purpose lurking the streets and shadows of the Wakandan city that bears his father's name, Burnin T'Chaka. 
New direction, new villains, new creative team. Get in on the ground floor of Marvel's next smash hit. Nuff said. Next up, we have Superman Lost number four. This is written by Christopher Priest with art by Carlo Pagulian as well as Jason Paz. And the first three issues have been fantastic. This is Superman trying to make his way home from the other side of the known and unknown universe. And the first three issues have been incredible. I've loved getting to see him be this fish out of water while also being a fish out of water at home after he's spent, you know, I think it's said 20 years trying trying to get back. I'm really, really stoked to see them continue to develop that, and I can't wait to pick this up. So let's go ahead and dive into this synopsis. Book four. Can even Superman withstand being pushed past the point of emotional and psychological endurance? Marooned on a comet in uncharted space, the Man of Steel reflects on his humble Smallville origins as crushing emotional fatigue threatens to end his journey back. Trauma which results in Lois's struggle to reconnect with the virtual stranger in her own home. So I do like this dual narrative of him trying to make his way back, and then also we get to see how this trip has affected him, and how it's basically made him completely disconnected from everyone, even though from their perspective he's only been gone for a couple, you know, a half a day. So it's really cool, really I think unique concept when it comes to Superman stories, and I can't wait to pick up the next chapter. Next up, we have X-Men Red number 12. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Jacopo Camagni. I hope I said that correctly. If I did not, I apologize. I am really looking forward to this because Immortal X-Men, Immortal X-Men number 12 broke my brain. It's, it's one of those books where like you're watching a car crash as it's happening. It's, it was tragic, a tragic issue that was wonderfully written and illustrated. And I'm hoping that we continue to get stories like that because X-Men Red's promising some big stuff. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The White Sword Broken. The White Sword, the mutant Omega healer who could raise the dead and bind them to his service, had 100 warriors. Now the first and last of the hundred have come to tell the tale of the one who destroyed them, one who is coming to test the mutants of Arako once again. So, you might not know this, but reading through Ten of Swords and getting into the Arako of it all, White Sword was my guy. He was my favorite design. I absolutely adore his whole deal of he is a... His power isn't even really an offensive thing. He can raise the dead. And he has this army of 100 soldiers who die. He raises them back up and then continues on. It's this unending thing. And in that, he's basically like a warlord. And if someone took him down, we got a problem. So I'm really excited. Uh, Feels like the X-Men of Krakoa just or of Arako, excuse me, uh, just kind of got their feet under them again. So I'm excited to see how they deal with this next chapter. Uh, Next up, we have Green Lantern number two. This is written by Jeremy Adams and Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Zermanico and Montos. And this is continuing on. I really liked that first issue. I'm not really a Hal guy. I am a Kyle Rayner boy by trade, as you know, but... 
I really enjoyed this first issue. I thought it was a great kind of soft reset for Hal, and I'm excited to see what they've got in store for him. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Nice Guys Finish First slash Rise of the Revenant Queen Part 2. Hal Jordan's homecoming is off to a rocky start. Carol Ferris is this close to firing him from the job he's only just begged his way into. His power ring isn't exactly working right, and off in the shadows, Sinestro, the architect of Hal's current crisis, is waiting for the perfect moment to strike. Plus, the hard-hitting John Stewart War Journal backup series from writer Philip Kennedy Johnson and artist Montos heats up as the Guardian John Stewart and his team, the Watchtower, fall under siege from a mysterious new threat. So, for if you're like me and you're really bummed about Jeremy Adams leaving the Flash, y'all can get your Jeremy Adams fix right here on the Green Lantern book. Make sure you pick this up. Next up, we have Doctor Strange number four. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Andy McDonald. And this is a brand new arc, maybe one shot. We don't know yet. I haven't read the synopsis. Uh, but th- this 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 book is th- this book has no has no right to be this good. And I say that even though Jed McKay has been crushing it on the Doctor Strange books for f- uh, half a decade. At this point, he's been going for a while. So I am really loving this book. I thought, and I said on the podcast, when they made the big announcement that Cleo would not be the Sorcerer Supreme anymore and that it would go back to Steven, I was bummed at that because I thought there were a lot more stories you could tell with Clea before bringing Steve back. But him coming back... You know, has been incredible, and Clea is essentially the se- the secondary protagonist of the book, and is the person actually driving the plot. So I am really stoked. This book has been fantastic. I already talked about, I think, what last week, two weeks ago. Um, Doctor Strange number three is a fantastic issue, and I'm excited for them to continue that role because. All three of the issues so far have been incredible. So let's keep, let's see if they keep the streak alive. Let's dig into the synopsis. UXO. Meet Wong, agent of Wand. Wong and Master and Magic Super Spy Pandora Peters are reforming Shield's covert mystical organization. Their first mission: find a supernatural serial killer who not only destroys magic but eats it. Who is this horrifying monster, and what future danger does it spell for Doctor Strange? Ah, because it's because it's spell, like in like in spells, like in magic like dr strain you get it i am really into this idea i love the idea of basically taking wong and dropping him into mystical magical x files like let's have an entire series of this uh can't wait to pick this issue up this is going to be a blast next up we have spirit world number two did y'all pick up spirit world number one I told you to pick up Spirit World number one. If you didn't pick it up, I will find you. Y'all better have picked up Spirit World number one, I swear to God. Uh, But this is written by Alyssa Wong with art by Haining, and that first issue rules! It's so good! And I can't wait to pick up issue two. Let's dig into the synopsis and find out what is next for Xanthi and Cassandra Kane. 
With Cassandra Kane still stuck in the spirit world, Xanthi and Constantine are hoping the one portal they found, which is quickly closing, is their one-way ticket to the land of the dead to help rescue Batgirl. Cass has made two spirit friends along the way who have given her a special cloak that helps mask her living flesh stench to keep the other spirits from eating her. But can they be trusted? And hey, what's in this tea that they just gave her? Ah, really excited. Really excited. I I just, man, that first issue was so good. I love Xanthi. I love Cass. Uh, and throw in Constantine. Why not? I really love that first issue, and I cannot wait to pick up issue two. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up alongside Spirit World number two, of course, is Captain America Cold War Omega number one. This is written by the hive mind of Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with also uh, Tochi Onyebuchi from the Sam Wilson book with art by Carlos Magno. I, I don't know how this is going to end, kids. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of plates spinning. Uh, but we now know that the White Wolf is now an actual wolf man. Uh, Cap Wolf's haunted past has come back to bite him. And I am really, really, really excited to see what happens. I also know that this is our, I think this is our last Cap book before the uh, the big anniversary. So we will see what happens here. I am nervous. I'm really nervous, but let's go ahead and dig into the synopsis. White Wolf has unleashed an army of Dimension Z monsters upon our world as a declaration of global war, and Team Cap's only hope to stop it is to take him down for good. Meanwhile, Bucky Barnes deploys his final chess piece, Ian Rogers himself, to turn the situation in his favor. Lifelong friends battle alongside mortal enemies and change the trajectory of their lives in this stunning conclusion. I think Cold War has been great. I've been really enjoying both the perspectives of Steve and Sam going up against Bucky and White Wolf, and I cannot wait to see how this all ends. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Spider-Man India number one, Black Panther number one, Superman Lost number four, X-Men Red number 12, Green Lantern number two, Doctor Strange number four, Spirit World number two, and Captain America Cold War Omega number one. I usually try to have a really like cute and quippy transition here to get us to the wrap up, but I don't. Just buy Spirit World. Buy it. Buy it. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is the first time you're joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it i will read your review here live on the podcast you can write literally anything you want i will have to read every single word 
And as long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our amazing Fantasy 15, including Seafire ND, Josh of Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alok and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken 4656, and Director Hall. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Seriously, I want to hear some more reviews. We're at 15 reviews right now, and my goal, as I stated last week, is to get up to 20 by the middle of August, by my birthday on August 12th. I want to get five more reviews. I think we can do it. So let's make that happen. If you want to be part of the Geek Explained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here on the show. Also, if you want to Keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, maybe you just want to get the first notification when big announcements happen, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news. You can feel free to follow us on Geeksplain or <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter at Geeksplained Pod. That's at Geeksplained P-O-D for as long as Twitter is around. And as I continue to try to get better at Instagram, I am bad at it, but I am working on that. <laughs> Uh, finally, every single Friday is the Geek Explain Book Club. I, alongside my fantastic Flash fam, Malcolm Russell Nelson, Jacob Brown, we are currently going through every single issue of every single volume of The Flash Rebirth. This Friday, we'll be tackling The Return of the Rogues in Volume 3 of the Joshua Williamson Flash Rebirth run. Uh, we've been loving it so far, and you seem to enjoy it as well. So if you haven't yet, jump on in. We would love to have you. Flash Fridays are a real thing, so make sure you be there or be square, not a circle. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. A huge thank you once again to Owen from the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel for coming on. Uh, literally, I I just, I love having Owen on. I love chatting with him. You can tell we go off on tangents. We, talk, we love exchanging knowledge and just vibing about comics and wrestling and the whole shebang. So make sure you go uh, subscribe to his channel on YouTube. It is amazing. He's been putting out some of the best stuff for years for years and i'm not talking about just of comic tube i'm talking about all of youtube so go check his stuff out i'll have his channel linked in the show notes so make sure you go check out his videos follow him on all the socials subscribe to his youtube channel he's amazing and i really want to say thank you once again to him for coming on this week's episode I also want to do a quick plug for my friends over at the Comics Collective podcast. Dallas Ann and Lexi are incredible people. Their podcast rules. And this week, I get to guest on it to talk about my favorite Superman run. We're going to be talking about Superman Rebirth, the entire thing. Not blow by blow because we'd be there for a long time but we'll be talking about the things we love about it why it's stuck around why people love it including maybe some things that aren't so great about it uh check them out wherever you get podcasts uh they've come on the show a few times i've been on their show a few times uh they're amazing and we had a wonderful discussion so as you are listening to this that episode is probably dropping the same day maybe just a little bit earlier because they're over on the east coast but Go check them out. They're wonderful. And uh, it's actually very appropriate because next week, 
I am going to be joined by Dallas from the Comics Collective as we discuss the comic that, in a way, kind of kicked off the vibe of the Ultimate Universe, for better and for worse. We're going to be tackling the very first Ultimates run. This is going to be a lot, so make sure you strap in as we put the Geek Explained spotlight on the Ultimates. So that'll be next week. Tune in for that. Same geek time, same geek channel. Now, I am going to go watch that uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth trailer a few more dozen times. So that's going to wrap it up for me. Thank you so much for listening. For the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. I really appreciate you tuning in. Everybody stay safe, and we will... See you next time.